Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 84 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame, joined as always by the co- by the co-host Matt Feuerstein. And it's been—I can't believe I'm saying this—but it's been too long for our most, you know, our guest with ha- that's had the most appearances. I almost said with a weird kind of grammar, like Claudio Castagnoli was the most money-making man, the most appearance-having man in wrestling podcast history. You might know him from his hosting job of the Five Star Match Game, one of the rare wrestling game trivia game show podcasts that's on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You might know him from Joe versus the World, which was a wrestling podcast back before everyone had a wrestling podcast. You might know him from a million other things. Joe Gagne, it is good to have you back. Thank you. Yes, not the best appearances, but the most appearances. That's the, that's the best you can do sometimes. Quality, not quantity. I mean, quantity, not quality. Yeah, I, I am around. off. You know, three weeks off, and I forget how to do a podcast, and I forget how to talk. My God. Um, but if if you want to, as always, hear when hear when <laughs> when I knew how to do a podcast, we have a ton of other episodes, and we have three different ways to listen to them. We have our regular through the years feed on all podcast apps, which is just our show. We have a feed on the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network, which is us with a bunch of other great shows. And then we are on YouTube where we're getting – we get – it seems like every – between episodes now, Matt, we get like one or two new very nice comments from people on YouTube every time. Like more than other avenues, we just get people that are saying really nice things on YouTube. Yeah, YouTube is the place to be, uh, especially now that apparently according to my uh – my Twitter feed, everyone is leaving Spotify in anger. So I guess if you want to listen to on YouTube, uh, it's uh, we're there for you. Absolutely. Listen to all your Neil Young and through the years <laughs> on YouTube. I'm sure, I'm sure that's what Neil would want to. We, um, should, we should make that our YouTube channel description. Listen to all <laughs> the Neil Young and through the years that your heart desires on YouTube. Listen to Harvest and this review of uh, Jay Briscoe versus Samoa Joe in a steel cage. Um, After about Matt, seven have... hours of other things first before you hear that review. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the longest. That's the RF, RF episode. Um, but Matt, you have something else to plug because I believe since the last episode and this episode, you appeared on another podcast. Our good friend Alan Cunahan, his Pro Wrestling Torch show, you were on that. Am I correct? I have not gotten a chance to listen to it yet. Yeah, we. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm behind a paywall again, which is just always really weird for me. Like, like, it's just like, I mean, you should pay to listen to Alan and for the torch, but do, I mean, do not pay to listen to me. That's, that's the worst financial decision anyone could possibly make. But it was a great, it was a great time on the show. Alan always does a great job. We talked about the, uh, the history of wrestling over the past 21 or so years in the Hammerstein ballroom. And, uh, that was the day before GCW had their show in the Hammerstein ballroom, which I attended. And, uh, the show is not about that, but, um, yeah, it was it was a fun time, and we got to go down memory lane, talk a little bit about some ECW, some WWE, CW, and of course some Ring of Honor. So, uh, so it was a good time. I mean, I don't know if there is a Trevor Matt. Su- I mean, look, we we have a bunch of listeners to this show. We do we do good, but like, I have no idea if we have any fans that are like. We, we, we at Through the Years are never going to put people in the position of paying for our show. But I will say, if you really can't get enough of, of Matt and I together or separately talking about stuff, I mean, by now we've done individually and together, uh, Alan's show a bunch of times on the torch. So like, you know, if you've never subscribed a one month subscription, the torch does sales pretty frequently where it's like a dollar. They seem to do that multiple times a year. I mean, there are 
a bunch of extra hours of us talking about wrestling and goofing off on Alan's show. So if you are really can't get enough of us, and I mean, I can see why you would be, wouldn't be able to get enough of Matt, but if you can't also get enough of me, well, you just can't get enough of Matt because Matt's done a bunch of solo stuff with Alan. I mean, I think a one month subscription is worth it. There's a bunch of extra audio from us there. But yes. uh, and just as a, a warning, th- so there's a snowstorm starting outside my window, but also there's extremely loud music playing outside my window and. It's, I've never heard this before. And so if you hear any music in the background, I apologize. My windows are closed. So somebody is, is either singing or blaring music in the middle of a snowstorm. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening, but, uh, that's some extra, extra accoutrement for the, uh, for the, uh, the, the deep vein thrombosos on today's episode. Well, I can't hear anything. So I think that's a good sign. Or it's a bad side of my hearing. But either way, there's a few little news tidbits that happen between the last Ring of Honor show we're covering and this one. Uh, one that tickled me quite a bit, so we'll just get to them now. This one is not the one that tickled me. This one's just kind of more mundane. But from the Observer at the time that was talking about TNA's upcoming Genesis pay-per-view in 2005, Dave wrote, Nigel McGuinness will likely debut for TNA on the show, either in the pre-show match or possibly in a prelim, which uh, that's... Kind of the same thing, Dave. Anyway, uh, stories of doing a Ring of Honor versus TNA feud that went around the internet for him are highly unlikely and had not even been talked of internally. So this would come to pass. Nigel would, in fact, I believe he was he was on the uh, the pre-show match that was on like the free or whatever, and I believe he lost to Shark Boy. And it's funny because Nigel then does not wrestle for TNA for years like it's uh, nigel continues to be one of those guys he's right there with paul london for me of all the guys we've covered on through the years so far of how did someone not like snatch this guy up and push him not just snatch him up but push him like the idea that tna was had enough interest in him to like book him for a match and they were like oh yeah you can lose the shark boy and then that's enough like it's crazy to me but then we also have um this is the story that did tickle me. The Ring of Honor website, this is from October 23rd, 2005, on their Newswire. Uh, they wrote, We always say that Ring of Honor is all about bringing in the top upcoming talent and letting them make themselves stars. It is a place where talent will rise to the top. That is not. This is not just true for the in-ring action, but in the broadcast booth. Ring of Honor has officially made some moves in the broadcast booth. Jimmy Bauer has been demoted to office lackey. If you don't show improvement or have the talent to rise to the top, you will be dropped, and Bauer is an example of this. Ring of Honor now features two of the top upcoming announcers today in Dave Prezak and Lenny Leonard. Both these broadcasters have made the most of their opportunities in Ring of Honor and have earned full-time jobs. Bauer will make rare appearances to make it a three-man team when absolutely necessary. So... I always loved when Gabe would sneak in these occasional self-deprecation things like this. You know, on through the years, we love self-deprecation. So do, burying himself in code when you knew back then he wrote the news wires and he was Jimmy Bauer. And it's kind of crazy just to hear, like, think about we're covering a time where, you know, the Prezac Leonard team was just starting out. And, you know, we're, last we record this, we're not far removed from GCW's biggest, pay, you know, show they've ever run which was Dave Frazak and Lenny Leonard. So that's yielding old. And then um, finally in the news, we have uh, the PW Insider. And this is a, a quote. This is this kind of like something, Matt, that we talked about, Gabe saying on commentary a show or two ago, but I still think this is a more full quote, and it's interesting. Um. Uh, 
Mike Johnson wrote, when asked about Brian Danielson settling into his ring as Ring of Honor champion, Gabe Sapolsky commented, quote, we just finished production on the two Brian Danielson matches from last weekend, and I have to say that I've, I'm even blown away by his work. I don't know what he did on uh, 514 to 9.17. But he is so much better now and so unique. We really have an opportunity to do something special with this great wrestler now. I say wrestler because that is what he is, a no-frills wrestler. I'll be the first to admit that there is nothing sexy about Brian Danielson. He doesn't dress like a champion. He has a bad haircut. He doesn't have an outlandish personality. He doesn't tan. He is just a guy that is an incredible wrestler and has all substance in the ring. He is perfect for Ring of Honor now because I want Ring of Honor to be about true skill and substance, and that is what Brian is. He is so good in the ring that it is easy to book him. I mean, you just have to put him in a 25-minute match, and it will be guaranteed great. However, he is so great that I find it pushing myself to try to be creative in booking him. I mean, we really have the opportunity to do something special with this tile ring. I'm not sure what it is yet, but with a talent like this, I have to push myself to be a better, to be better as a booker. Uh, guys... How would you feel about a guy mocking your haircut? For some well, 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 I was going to say, so like, I mean, clearly like Gabe likes the line that there's nothing sexy about Brian Danielson. He said it on a, on a DVD recently. He said it in interviews. I mean, I will say this. Other than, than that, I feel like he was being very honest there. Like what he says in that, what he says in that interview is pretty much like what happened. Like he was, he did really try and he did make something special out of Brian Danielson. And Brian Danielson did have a very bad haircut at this point on this show in particular. It was terrible. Like he even like got made fun of by the audience and like acknowledged it. And he shaved his head like less than a week later or like cut a really short, I should say. So I think he knew that it was a really bad haircut. And like Trevor, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but like, he definitely cut his own hair at this point, right? Like that's obviously something that Brian Danielson was doing. And by the way, I mean, I, by the way, I'm not criticizing him. I think that's a cool and like good way to save money. And like, a cool but way to save money. yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm too I'm too insecure to cut my own hair. But like, he definitely cut his own hair, right? I mean, if he got this done by someone else, this was like a sub supercuts quality do. So yeah, I mean. Either he went really cheap or he did it in a mirror, but I think I appreciate the DIY aspect of it. I, I think people who cut their own I'm not joking. I think people who cut their own hair are really cool. But this definitely looked like that kind of haircut. If so, I was uh, if I was less insecure, I would cut my own hair. Let's put it that way. Matt, you know, the, the, there's always time to start it up. There's always time. Well, I'm, I'm never gonna happen. I'm never gonna become not insecure, so it's not gonna happen. <laughs> on that hopeful note, we will start to cover the actual show for today, and that is This Means War took place October 29th, 2005 at the CT Center in Woodbridge, Connecticut, in front of a reported crowd of 450 fans. We should note that um that the last time they had run Connecticut was Fate of an Angel, I believe, with uh, uh, Matt Hardy's first of three appearances for Ring of Honor, and that show did 900 fans, so it shows you kind of the power of 2005 Matt Hardy, where losing him means they lose half their audience at the next show in this in this city. There's something else um, that we should note. I think you're burying the most important aspect of this episode of the program. Uh, Joe Gagne and I met each other at this show for the first time and like w- intentionally went together. And this is one of the rare times we did that. That's a, that's, that's the, that's the headline of this story. Matt, I, I was, that was my very next thing in my notes. Cause I have, there's nothing I love more. There are a few of like, few 
of life's simple pleasures are more pleasurable to me than when we have a guest on the show who is not just was at the show, but they reviewed the show. And Joe has done this frequently. So we will have during the show old Joe and current Joe both covered because I have quotes from Joe's review. And the first one I will read right now, Matt, is, and I quote Joe from the past, I found out Matt Foy of Sea Dogs Board was attending the show. I shot him an email and we hung out the show. Matt is one cool cat. <laughs> liar, <laughs> liar, pants on fire. Um, yeah. So, um, Joe, I, I, how far was this from where you lived? The, this venue, like uh, about like, seventy-five minutes by by car. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was like two and a half to three hours. So that's why this is the only time I ever made this trip. But I really, really wanted to see Roderick Strong versus Brian Danielson. I was super into Roderick Strong at this point and really love Brian Danielson already. So like that was the match I probably wanted to see in ROH more than any other match. I was like, yeah, I'm going to make the trip and Joe Gagne is going to be there and it's going to be awesome. And it was, um, but fun fact. Um, so you know, regular listeners, regular deep vein thrombosos will recall that at Glory by Honor uh, 4, I was late to that show because of my, at the time, weekend job. Um, and I, so I didn't get to, and that was kind of far from where I lived and worked. Um, so I got there late and missed the first match, and they replayed that first match, the Loki versus uh, Jay Lethal, in a very odd coincidence. Um, this time was the second time, because of my job, that I missed the opener. And uh, this time they did not replay it. But uh, Joe caught me up when I got there. Yeah, you missed a, a good opener, which we'll get to in a little bit. But, but I remember uh, but I remember getting to this place and like correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but like this was a little bit off the beaten path, right? Like this wasn't like right off a major interstate. You had to like drive through like wooded areas and it was dark and like winding roads and stuff to get to this venue in Woodbridge, Connecticut. Is that your recollection as well? I seem to recall this was for me coming and I was coming from the a different direction from you, but I remember this being fairly off the highway, pretty close. I felt like I drove a while after I got off the highway. I, so this was the era of MapQuest. So like I printed <laughs> out directions and I was like looking at them, and it was like like I have to like make this turn and this turn. And it was dark, and it was like where the where the hell am I? And so I finally got there, and uh, and yeah, I mean I feel like it was a, it was a pretty decent venue, um, right? I mean it was it was the sight lines were pretty good. Um, the bleachers weren't super tall, but they were good enough, and like you were pretty close to the ring, no matter where you were. So I, I you know, I, if, this, if this venue was closer, I would have liked to have seen more shows there. So how many shows did you end up going to there, Joe? Was it three? Uh, three. Although one of them was not in the building itself. But oh, right, <laughs> right, right. That's, for another time. Yeah, I remember that. So uh, I guess I'll just ask this because this is such a foreign thing to me because I live in Western Canada and everything is a drive and not much comes to my my area. But uh, you guys both live in the northeast of the U.S., so you have plentiful wrestling options. I mean, Matt lately has been going to shows all the time, making me jealous. But, like, do you guys have a, an upward limit of how far you will travel? Like, is there is there is there a thing where, like, you know, if a show is really great, I'll – make a three hour commute or each way or like, is there a limit? Well, obviously there's always a limit, but like, do you guys have a kind of a preset limit in your head of this is how far I will travel for a show, especially when you guys, again, you guys have options that you probably don't have to travel very far that are very good options. Yeah. I'll just say, I mean, it's a little different when you have a, a family and whatnot. You yeah. don't want to be out at all times. Like I try to keep it, Usually within an hour. When, you know, there was a takeover, that takeover in Connecticut they had where Adam Cole won the title. That was like two hours away. That was really the limit. Like, all right, yeah, this, this I'll, I'll make the, the drive for. But normally, you know, back when I left my house, it was, I try to keep it about an hour. And 
you know, things like when Beyond Wrestling ran weekly, that was like 20 minutes from my house. So that's that was always a very simple, simple drive. I, I nowadays I, when I should I have returned to shows, they're probably about an hour is where I'll try to keep it. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, you know, back then I would have been more willing to make big long trips than I am now, even, you know, even without a family, just like I'm older and it's just, it's tiring. But, um, yeah, so like at the time, I'd say this was the only time I made that long of a drive for an ROH show, like the three hour drive. This is definitely the, uh, the longest I've ever done anything like that. Um, but I will travel far for like a really big show if I can make a, um, Make a trip out of it, you know. Make a yeah. um, make make like a vacation. Like I went to All Out in 2019, and like I spent a week in Chicago, you know. Like I made a vacation out of it, so like that was worth it for me, uh, if that makes sense. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I would say I would say, and and this was yeah, this was more like two and a half hours more rather than like three hours, but. Um, but I feel like three would have been the upper limit. Maybe for like a really, really, really special show now, I would do a three-hour drive if I didn't have anything to do the next day. But it would have to be like a really big deal show. Um, like, like Joe, like, like you've done like – you've gone to come to New York a few times for like when they've had WrestleMania weekends in the area, right? But I, I guess you, you've stayed overnight, right? It wasn't just like a drive and then drive back, right? Yeah, no. That was a couple-day day trip pretty much because WrestleMania has so many – weekend shows you know i you just kind of make a couple days of it yeah and i'd probably travel as far as like boston for something similar to that by car also um you know chicago was a flight like uh, so obviously like that was a little bit different yeah i'm gonna be honest i asked you guys that question to try and make myself feel better because one of my biggest wrestling fan regrets is like during this era you know brian danielson was already my favorite wrestler and he would wrestle being a pacific northwest guy occasionally he'd work for like eccw in vancouver or uh you know places in washington state and there was times i was very close to biting the bullet and making a trip but i never did and it was because to get to a show, even that the closest shows that he would have been to in my area would have been like five hours, six hours each way. And I was like almost on the board, like, well, maybe I can just pull an all nighter or do, do I really want to see a, to go stay at a hotel to see Brian Danielson? And part of me to this day is still like, oh, I should have done that. You know, it would have been a neat thing to say I saw him during this era. But for me, you know, not one of these fancy pants. Americans in the Northeast were like, oh, I can only go in an hour. Like, for me, it was like, do I want to try like five to six times that? That was my only chance. And I, I was on the fence and I never did it. And I still kind of regret it. Well, you still have a, ch- um, you still have a chance to, to do it, you know, and, and if, and if money's an issue, you know, just cut your own hair for a few months and then <laughs> you'll be able to go to any wrestling show you want. Yeah, you, I, I believe it's like you two haircuts for a standard show, three haircuts, and you can go to WrestleMania, I believe. That's, that, right. that's how it works. But, that's uh, right. We opened the we opened the DVD with uh, Jade Chung back. Oh wait, I actually we got one other. I forgot one other piece of news that kind of sets up the show, which was this is kind of a historic show in a couple ways that people don't really know. And one of them, or they don't they know, but they don't really think of. But one is uh, Samoa Joe missed this show and then we'll go to the ring of honor newswire their website newswire they wrote unfortunately samoa joe will have to miss the uh, october 29th event we apologize for this cancellation we will make it up to you now by announcing a huge main event quality match that will have ramifications on the first top five rankings october 29th in woodbridge connecticut just outside of new haven we'll see aj styles versus austin aries with the winner making the top five um 
If Aries wins the title on October 29th, he will defend it, which that must have been a typo because he was not wrestling the title. He will defend it versus Styles on this event. And the already scheduled Danielson versus Strong match will be a first spot in the top five rankings. So, yeah, that's like I, I forget if they were prior book for this, but the original plan for the show was supposed to be uh, Samoa Joe versus Christopher Daniels. And obviously Joe misses the show. And so it kind of, I forget if they were, if Aries and the Styles were previously scheduled for other matches or if this was made just as a make good kind of to, that was one of our top matches. We got to replace it with something significant. But, um, I believe you're talking to me on a messenger a couple of days ago about how there's a quote that comes up later where they say something like that Joe, this is the first show that Joe, Ring of Honor show that Joe had missed in like 61 or something shows. And I believe you like, you think that that number is, is different, right? Like that it's that was not the correct number? Well, okay. So if this was show 84, right? So yeah. 61 shows before this would have been show 23, which would have been Wrath of the Racket, which Samoa Joe wrestled on. He, were, he, he wrestled against BJ Whitmer on that show. Um, and... Uh, so that's wrong. And if you look at every show around there, right, uh, the show before that, Death Before Dishonor, Joe was on, the show after that, Better Friends, Different Enemies, Joe was on that, Beating the Odds, Joe was on it, Glory by Honor. The last show that I have of, that Joe was not on was all the way back in uh, episode 11, so ROH show number 11, Night of the Butcher, back in uh, December 2002. So that was show 11, which 84 – Minus eleven would be seventy three. So it's really it's been seventy three shows since uh, since Joe missed an ROH show by my calculations. If uh, somebody tell me if I'm wrong, then I miss something. But I, I'm pretty sure that is the case. I think it's it was kind of crazy to see a Ring of Honor show like that Samoa Joe was not working because even in, in 2005 we've seen a couple shows where he was hurt where you know he would still do a four way where you know he didn't do that much but or he would still make an appearance on the show and do like a little confrontation with somebody like right like, right right the one show that I remember he did not wrestle on if you're going to count that is nowhere to run right but he was on the show. Yeah, he, yeah, he, was, he was there. The he, he did an angle. Like so like yeah. that well, I'm, I'm 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 counting that. I'm not just counting when he has matches. Yeah. But yeah, it's just something that he's not even, you know, in the build even in the building. That was like a big deal at this point at least in terms of Huge, you yeah. know, indie wrestling ring of honor guys, you know, frequently even a lot of the top names will miss a show here or there and Joe was like the constant. But uh we opened the show with Jay Chung backstage. She calls the day she stood up to Prince Nana the most glorious of her life. She calls Roderick Strong her savior on that day and calls the hug they shared wonderful. I wrote in my notes at this point, this may be the first wrestling show in history where the phrase wonderful hug was used. Um, the camera then pans to reveal Roderick Strong sitting in front of Jay just a few inches away. In a very awkward exchange, Jade puts her hand on his shoulder and thanks him and says she'll always be behind him and be there for him and there's like no chemistry between them. This was so funny. Oh my god. Like She's just like, oh, he's my savior, my hero, a wonderful hug. And like then he just like looks at her and goes, no, he doesn't even look at her. He's like, thank you. And then he just completely just ignores her for the rest of the promo. Like, it's it's so bizarre. Yeah, she's talking about basically she escaped from slavery. He's like, cool. Anyway, Brian Danielson on the belt. I, I just love that he says thank you. Like, 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 and like, like the least sincere sounding. He's like, yeah, whatever you say, lady. Like, that's sort of the way he said it. Like, I would describe his energy 
is basically being like someone like receiving a compliment from their aunt for mowing their lawn. Like just like, oh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> yes, thanks. He says, uh, thank you. And then tells the embassy that he then tells the embassy that every moment awake or sleeping, he's thinking about steel cage warfare. But tonight he's challenging Brian Danielson for the ring of honor world title. Some say Brian is the best in the world, but Roderick says that Brian hasn't proven it to him yet. He says tonight only the strong survive. Um, I did think it was funny. He was saying every moment, even sleeping, you're not thinking every moment, Roderick. He's thinking, of, but yet somehow Roddy finds a way. He's just 24 seven dreaming the, from the moment he closes his eyes and he's dreaming about that steel cage warfare. Um, Joe, in your live show note notes, you wrote, we had a brief pre-show starting at six fifty, featuring students from the ring of honor school competing for the top of the class trophy. What I assume would be the equivalent of the new Japan young lions cup. They announced that Davey Andrews had already advanced to the finals at the November 19th show. And the two dark matches were Pele Primo defeating Bobby Dempsey and Shane Hagedorn defeating Smash Bradley. So, yes, like Joe wrote at the time. Uh, finally, we were seeing all these uh, student pre-show matches. This was building up finally to, yeah, these two matches actually had something at stake where the winners would go on to face Davey Andrews to get the first ever top of the class trophy, which is kind of like the title for the students. Joe, in your live notes, you wrote, um, Smash Bradley is a masked wrestler, and since Ring of Honor students can only wear black, he just has a plain black mask and bears an unsettling resemblance to the Gimp. So I I would have liked a real, like, settling resemblance to the Gimp. You know, just like, oh, oh you know, that makes me remind me of the Gimp. It feels so nice. You know, I looked up Smash Bradley because I'm like, whatever happened to him? I guess he did like a pro-Trump gimmick in like 2016 or so. So maybe wow. the gimp wasn't, uh, wasn't that bad in retrospect. <laughs> a surprising number – well, I shouldn't say it's pro-wrestling. I was going to say a surprising mm. number of Ring of Honor undercarters of this era seem to be doing uh, Trump-style gimmicks, whether on in front of the fans or not in front yeah. of the fans if you look at their Twitters. Um Anyway, we go to the opener of the show that we get to see on DVD. Alex Shelley with Prince Nana took on Claudio Castagnoli, and they went to a 20-minute time limit draw. Uh, before the match could start, Nigel McGuinness got into the ring, microphone in hand. Nigel said he admires Claudio's balls, and he calls Claudio's prior win over him a fluke, though. Nigel tries to get a Mick Foley-esque cheap pop by saying the name of the town they're in, but he gets it wrong, so Claudio snatches the mic away to correct him and get that pop for himself. Uh, Nigel calls the town stupid and says Claudio would never would have beaten him if the match was held under pure title rules. The crowd starts a loud shut-the-fuck-up chant. Uh, Nigel calls the crowd names. Nigel does the his Bret Hart aping best there is best there was bit, but as always he stops before he gives the best there ever will be final line. Instead, he puts over how talented Alex Shelley is. And then Nigel says, if Claudia puts in a good showing against Shelley, and as long as he doesn't lose cute key wording there, he'll give him a title shot in the future. Nigel then goes to set the timekeeper's timekeeper's table to watch this match. And what a match it was, at least at well, I shouldn't tip my opinion, but Matt, what did you think about this 20-minute time limit draw between these two? So uh, since I missed this match live, um, Joe, uh, when you were there live, do you remember if him saying, as long as you don't lose, tipped the hand that this was going to go to a 20-minute draw like before the match even started? I don't. I, I yeah. don't remember <laughs> that. Uh, right. I, I probably just assumed uh, 
Claudio would win. I, I, I think it telegraphed a draw because I don't think they were all that common in Ring yeah. of Honor at the time. You two could speak more to that than I could. No, I mean, pretty much, I can only think of maybe like a couple, like one or two other 20 minute draws. Yeah. Um, wasn't there one with Matt Stryker back in the day? Um, but, uh, yeah, no, this match was, it was fun. Like they, um, you know, like it did go a 20 minute draw. And so they had 20 minutes and you really never, I mean, not never, but it was not super common to have 20 minute openers. I mean, it's funny that the two, like the two openers that I missed, uh, were two, like the two of the more substantial openers of the year <laughs> in terms of length and how, you know, how much, how serious they, how seriously they were worked. Um, you know, this match is worked like an opener in the sense that it's, it's you know they, they they don't get super intense with it. They're not trying to have the match of the year, but they're working hard. They're doing a lot of stuff. They do a lot of you know early mat work um, with like it's, it's smooth. I'd say the transitions are kind of slow, but they're doing a lot of stuff that um, you know that they don't that you don't really normally see them do because they just have more time to do it. Um, like um, you know. He, Shelly does his fun spot where he maneuvers into an arm bar and then uses Claudio's hand to clap for himself. Like, you don't, you don't see stuff like that. Claudio does a cool headstand out of a side headlock and pops the crowd and me, uh, in that. Um, you know, and they, they, they do, you know, they, they pick up the pace. They do a bunch of arm drags, arm bars, reversals, like, you know, into the border city stretch, out of the border city stress. Um, they continue to do a really smooth stuff and that lasts for a while. The only real botch I noticed during this sequence is like, there's a sunset flip where everyone is just like way too close to the ground, but somehow they managed to pull it off kind of like, it's not that bad. So, you know, good for them. Um, there's a really cool spot where Shelly crawls under Claudio's legs and does almost like a reverse reverse Rana, like pulling himself up onto Claudio's shoulders into a victory roll. And then he moves into like this, like pendulum thing. Like I, I thought that was really cool. Um, and Claudio reverses that into a pinning combo and, the crowd is really enjoying all the convoluted spots. Um, <laughs> like, and I am too, because it's, again, it's stuff, you know, it's just different, you know. Um, uh, eventually, Shelly makes Claudio break a hold by hocking a loogie, like, really hard in his face. And so finally, about 10 minutes in, they start striking and they hit European uppercuts and, uh, and doing a bunch of, uh, you know, big moves. Claudio does the neutralizer. Which is like that, uh, it's almost like a stretch muffler, but like lying down almost, like, you know, on the ground, um, or on the mat, I should say. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so, the, so things get a little bit more intense there. Um, they do this, another convoluted spot where Shelly springs inside the, uh, inside out off the ropes into a tornado DDT on the floor, which I thought was really cool. Um, uh, Shelly does his, um, his skull, fuck move which i mean that i mean that is what he calls it right i feel weird saying yeah. that every time i but that is what he calls it and w- at one point shelly gets a two count and he looks right in the camera and he goes what the fuck after claudio kicks out which i enjoyed um you know they they, they do more wacky submissions shelly takes a moment to high five nigel and nana um claudio comes back with a bunch of european uppercuts is diving european uppercuts a few more shelly hits a flurry um Claudio does a delayed vertical suplex, um, which I was like, that was like the 19 minute mark. And I was like, hmm, Claudio, maybe you should not delay the vertical <laughs> suplex at this point. Um, and the crowd actually loses count because it's a very long vertical suplex. Um, the one criticism I would have is that even as the time is running out, there's not a huge sense of urgency. 
Like, they're not really trying hard to, like, it doesn't, just doesn't seem like the last minute of a match where they're, like, intensely trying to win. Um, but they, you know, uh, the, the finish is uh, Shelly blocks some uppercuts and swings around Claudio into a Border City stretch, and Nigel is screaming for Claudio to tap, but Claudio reverses that into the neutralizer, and Shelly makes the ropes, and then the bell rings right as Claudio's about to hit the Ricola bomb. I actually think it was... I was I was taking count. I think it was actually slightly over twenty minutes, but it was it was pretty close, like pretty close to accurate. Um, uh, I thought it was entertaining the entire time. Um, it was very convoluted, like you know, like this was like definitely an indie match, but I didn't mind it. You could see some of Claudio's inexperience because like the intensity didn't really peak the way it should at the end. But I still really liked it. It was a lot of fun. It kept they kept it moving for twenty minutes, and I should I would be remiss if I did not note how over the top Claudio's like ring gear was like the entrance gear he wore like the the jacket and stuff like and the, and the stuff he, and like the pants he wore over his pants like it was just so ostentatious and over the top that i uh i have to make note of it but yeah that's my thought on the match uh joe what did you think yeah i thought i remember matt was so sad when he showed up and i told him <laughs> this was the match he missed and it went 20 minutes because this was a really great match and this was totally fun the 20 minutes flew by i thought the chain wrestling was really fluid I thought Shelly in particular was great in this match. He had some super innovative spots. Yeah, Shelly 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 was better. Shelly was better than Claudio here. Not that Claudio wasn't good, but Cla- Shelly yeah, was a standout. Shelly was next level, but he'd also, you know, he'd, he'd do a cheap shot or uh, something to, you know, let the crowd know he was still a heel. And um, I think he got into it a fan at one point who yelled "boring," but Prezak was talking over that interaction, so uh, I can't say for sure. But uh, no, this was a, uh, a super match, and I like how supportive Nigel was, a fellow heel Shelly. Like, I know he wanted him to win so he wouldn't have to defend against Claudio, but he really seemed to be his pal. So uh, I appreciate that. And I also love how upset people get when Nigel does the Bret Hart line. And, like, <laughs> when he gets to, you know, he's going to say, he says the best there was. Like, people are like, hey, you can't say that. So uh, I appreciate that. So this is a, a big win of an opening segment to me. You know, it always it always makes me feel nostalgic whenever like heels are friends just because they're heels. Like, cause that's what the way it used to be. You know, if you're a bad guy, you like the other bad guys, and that's just how it is. Yeah. So for those who didn't see the match, Nigel's actually sitting at ringside the whole match, and I think at one point he even high five Shelly like during the match, like just hey, you're doing a great job here. And yeah, that's that's always fun. Um, I really like this match quite a lot. I, I thought this is, I think this is like a hidden gem. I. I I would give this like if I had to give it a star ring, three and three quarter stars. I give it right below four. I really enjoy this. I think these are two guys you would think they would match up well together, and I think they they match up as well. Sometimes guys you think match up well on paper, they don't quite do it. I think these guys match up just the way you think they would. Um, there's so many, so much of the fun of this is, and I know Matt, you were kind of maybe some of the stuff's a little convoluted, a little indie, but I kind of like that because I think so much of the fun of this match was like the weird ways these guys would find ways to take each other off their feet and get into submissions. And this is one of those matches where, you know, there's a lot of submissions and Matt work, but it's not really about the struggle or selling. It's more just about here's a neat thing. Here's like a neat quick sequence. We're not going to hold any submission for very long. It's just going to be a lot of eye candy and just one to the next and keep things moving. And, and for this kind of match, I really enjoyed that. It was just a fun to kind of turn my brain off and just watch them go through things quickly. I thought, I agree with Joe. I thought, um, I thought Shelly was a standout here. I thought, like, he is clearly, ever since he's joined the embassy, I mean, Shelly's always good, but he's clearly, once he joined the embassy, just having the time of his life being, like, this more goofy kind of heel. 
And I mean, there's a point in this match where not only is he begging off Nigel, he's actually kissing Nigel's boots, like just begging him to like leave him alone. Then of course he cheap shots him. And I love Shelly in this match, like the tone of this match where Shelly and, and Claudio, like, you know, one, it's clearly one is a heel, one is a face, but it's not like the, the gravest hatred. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, we're doing each other's like, you know, Shelly's mocking his hay and Claudio's kind of razzing him. It, it's, it's like more good natured heel versus face if there's such a thing, you know? And I really do think this is a great showcase for Shelly because not only do you see all the neat Matt stuff he did, like Matt, that sequence you talked about where Shelly's basically walking on his hands and then kind of wraps his legs around Claudio's head and then sits up into a victory roll, turns that into a submission crowd goes nuts for that. And you know, that's the kind of crazy innovative submission stuff you'd expect from Shelly. But then this is one of those matches where Shelly reminds you that like, He's also can be a pretty good athlete with, like you mentioned, the uh, the spot where he kind of runs up the ropes and then jumps to the floor to the tornado TD, DDT, or even like he does a spot where he does kind of like a tilt to whirl head scissors type thing into the Border City stretch, which is one of those moves he could probably only do with a very few guys on the roster because Claudius one of the only guys probably with like the size and the skill as a base to kind of post up for that and you know do it convincingly. And I, yeah, I just this, I thought this was a really Fun match. Obviously, night uh, Claudio gets the standard kind of babyface rub where he's about to go as fi- for his finisher, the Ricola bomb. Rise time when it expires. Uh, I-, I just really like this. This is just a very fun opener, and um, these two meshed really well together. So after the match, the crowd boos and they chant for five more minutes. Nigel gets to the ring and he calls what we just saw a fantastic wrestling match, which gets applause from the crowd. Nigel then puts over Shelly as a fantastic pure wrestler, but says Claudio didn't show him anything. And since Claudio didn't win, he doesn't get a title shot. Claudio then grabs the mic and reminds Nigel that he only said Claudio didn't lose. He would get a pure title shot. And Claudio did not lose the match. As Claudio continues to explain this on the mic, Jade Chung sneaks up into the ring behind Prince Nada. She slaps him. Shelly and Nada at this point chase her to the back. And this this distracts Claudio, who gets attacked by Nigel. Nigel ends up laying out Claudio with his trusty iron that he often carries to the ring. Uh, Nigel gets back on the mic at this point and finally finishes his best there ever will be line that he started before the uh, the match began. And now at this point we can see Claudio has bladed. There's blood dripping down his face. Nigel then grinds his iron into the cut and then he leave, Nigel leaves to the back. We then cut to a graphic on the screen that says five minutes later as Claudio, surrounded by refs now, finally recovers. You know that you know that was like 45 seconds later, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You see like the five minutes later, it's always – yeah, it's – blood is dripping down Claudio's face. He vows revenge and he vows to win Nigel's pure title. So This is the most dastardly thing Nigel has done. Yeah, you know, we've talked a lot about how Nigel, like as a heel, he's not that bad. You know what I mean? Like – this is definitely the most like really low down thing we've seen Nigel do, I would say. Yeah, because Nigel so far is, again, he's another guy kind of like this match where his heel is more is entertaining and, and not quite as maybe mean spirited. You know, it's more just I'm a trickster. You know, I'm mischievous. I'm kind of arrogant. But yeah, this is like the most kind of serious you know, attacking a guy with a weapon and blooding them. You know, that's something. That, yeah, definitely a new level for Nigel. That brings us to the second match on the show. Asriel and Davey Andrews defeated Jason Blade and Kid Mikazi in five minutes, 
55 seconds when Azrael pinned Mikazi after he hit a double, a top rope double stomp. Now, for those who don't know, Kid Mikazi is probably best known these days, which is maybe, maybe you would want to be referred to this way as best known for this, but he's best known, I think, as Sasha Banks' husband. And he, uh, currently works for WWE, uh, designing costumes and outfits for them and so, and sewing them up. And, and, uh, and the crowd love chanting Rufio at him. Wrestling crowds love it when someone kind of looks like someone because they just do not stop with the comparison. And I have a note from past Joe Gagne. I'm going to confront modern Joe Gagne with right now. Cause Joe, I'm going to read this. I, I, I got, I got a bone to pick with you. You wrote in the past covering the show, Blade and Mikazi are local guys getting a shot. I will give them credit for having fancy matching tights, which actually got a matching tights chant. Mikazi got a Rufio chant and the guy next to me had to explain that Rufio was a character from the movie hook that resembled Mikazi. I think I'm officially too old to go to these shows. Joe, I just want to point something out. You're a little bit older than Matt and I, but not much, just by a few years, I think. I'm just going to say this, Joe. This show happened in 2005. Hook was a movie that came out in 1991. You don't get to play the I'm too old for this part on a movie that was 14 years old at the time of the show. Joe, you're not 80. (laughs) No, but I was too old to have – I didn't see Hook at the time. I was too old for that, so – that, Hook was that's for everybody. Hook was for fun for all ages. A Steven Spielberg movie. Hook was uh, no fun for anyone. Then, uh, <laughs> well, please don't clip that out and send to Taz. Well, well, I will just say this: it's it's recorded for posterity on the podcast. Forget forget Hook the wrestler for this moment. We all love him. We know it. But we're talking about the movie, and people are going to be mad at you for saying that about that movie. Do not send Hook the movie. <laughs> so, uh, Joe, what what did you think? Of, what is what does current Joe think about this match? Uh, well, I guess they didn't <laughs> teach uh, that wrestling was fake at the uh, Ring of Honor Academy because Davey <laughs> Andrews is just a crowbar in this match. He was just killing, like, God, dude, it's not real. Like, so, like he did a slingshot double stomp that looked like he just killed Jason Blade. And uh, there wasn't a lot of structure to this one. The moves were nice, but it seems stuff just kind of happened. And there was like I know both Blade and Makazi basically power bomb themselves on the floor doing dives. So, you know, fairly entertaining for a couple of minutes, but but not a lot of substance, kind of a junk food match. Yeah, I actually thought this overachieved for me. I mean, on these matches where the you know, we've seen Matt and I, we've seen so many of these, and probably Joe, you've done enough shows with us, you've probably seen more than a couple of these. These matches where they bring guys in that have either only worked one match for Ring of Honor or never worked in the case. I think Jason Blade did like a pre-show match or something, but this would be, I believe this is Kid Bakazi's debut. And we've seen so often these guys, they get four or five minutes. And in a match like that, really all you can do and all I expect from you is to try and do as many cool spots to get an, a second booking because it's really hard to kind of do a lot of character work or tell a story. I think at four or five minutes, especially when it's a tag match and you're dividing that time among four people. But feels like in 2005, we've seen a lot of these matches where they don't even get to do that, whether they're being told backstage to not go too crazy or whether they're just wrestlers that maybe they don't, they're not, that's not their thing to do, kind of just a bunch of crazy spots. So I will say, I was happy just to see we're kind of back in the realm of this is a match where, like Joe, like you said, not necessarily a lot of structure, but I do think Mikazi and Blade did what what they could here, which is you just do probably every cool spot you can jam in there and you can think of, and it wasn't all perfectly neat, but I do think 
they did have a good, you know, they did feel like an actual tag team between both the matching gear and just, they had some cool double teams, you know, a nice spinning kick from Mikazi, and then they did a, a cool kind of total elimination style double team. They had a um, blade sitting, and then Andrews catapulted himself over the top rope into a cross between like a, oh wait, no, I'm sorry, I mixed up my notes, but that that's what you were talking about was the Davey Andrews thing, that's the spot I'm kind of mixing up here. That was, yeah, Davey Andrews here, uh, stiff as hell, like Joe said. I felt like that actually played better in this match than some of the other Davy Andrews matches because since the other three guys were all just kind of doing like a more junior spot fest, Davy Andrews being like just this guy running around stiffing everyone, that kind of actually popped a little more to me in a match like this just because it's more of a contrast in this match. But like Joe said, there's a spot where he catapults himself over the ropes into the ring and he does what, I don't know if it was meant to be a drop kick or a double stomp, but either way he just crushes a head. But I mean, this match at the end of the day, nothing like it's a, it's an under six minute tag match. It's nothing special, but it was more than I expected just because, you know, it was just a bunch of fun, crazy spots. Matt, what did you think? Yeah, I, I'm with you, Trevor. Like, I, I thought this was fun. Like, it was a fun, like, scramble style match. Um, I liked Andrews in this. Like, I, I thought his stiffness, like you said, it added to, uh, it added something to the match that wouldn't have been there otherwise. I also think, like, his stuff just looked better than anyone else's. Like, the stuff that he did, like, looked really good. Maybe it was because he hit too hard. I don't know. But it, like, if I were to say who impressed me the most in this match, I probably would have say, said him. Like, honestly. Um, but Blade and Mikazi did well. I think Blade better than Mikazi because, you know, Mikazi did some cool stuff, but there was some awkwardness. Like, there was a p- point where he leapt off of Blade's back onto Andrews on the floor, and that was kind of awkward. Some stuff like that. But in general, um, I thought they, they it was just fun. Like, they, it was just moved fast, and it was fun. Um, there was one part that I thought was interesting that, like, Dave Prezak, for some reason, started, like, really giggling when Blade and Mikazi hit a double Japanese arm drag, but I, I don't know why it was funny. Like, I thought it was a good move. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, yeah, I thought I thought it was it was a fun little whatever it was, you know? Like, there were a lot of long matches on this show, and this is one of the short ones, and I thought it did it did its job. And I was actually kind of pissed when the crowd was chanting Rufio, not because I was like, man, I'm too old for this 1991 movie, but because <laughs> of, because um, I was, this was one of those matches where I felt like these guys were breaking their necks to try and like entertain the fans. Yeah. And so no. the crowd was like this, this crowd, you know, I Matt, agree. when you combine Matt and Joe, I guess it's kind of spoils things because this crowd <laughs> at some points did seem to be like one of the early examples in ring of honor of a crowd at times that was more into just like goofing off than like, enjoying the show well i mean i guess that's the one way of enjoying the show but like these guys were you know doing big spots and they're just chanting fucking rufio and like laughing to themselves yeah i didn't like the rufio chants either but i think overall this was a like a good crowd like in terms of like they made they made noise like and they were into the matches like you're right there was times when they did some annoying stuff but i think overall they were it was a pretty good crowd uh, I think you, 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 you're, you, I can't trust you guys on this. You, you got a, you got a dog in this fight. So, um, <laughs> next up, we've got Ricky Reyes scored to the ring by Julie Smokes, defeating Mitch Franklin in 22 seconds when he made him pass out in the Dragon Sleeper. I have a lot to so, say about this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, this was, in fact, the debut for another Ring of Honor student, Mitch Franklin, who maybe fans would know better as Grizz, his later gimmick, Grizzly Redwood. This, it just continues the, uh, the storyline of Ricky Reyes destroying all the Ring of Honor students. 
Uh, after the match, a student or staffer checks on Mitch and Reyes chokes him out too. The crowd chants for Reyes to get the ref and Reyes looks open to it until the other rest of the come to the ring and then Reyes is like, eh, never mind and walks away. But uh, I like the ending moment where Smokes walked over to the ref and started intimidating him by pretend by putting up his hands like they were claws. <laughs> like he just held up claws Joe, at the ref and the ref went, oh, and like he jumped back like all startled. Joe, Joe, do you have any thoughts on this? Because uh, past Joe had a great note about uh, around this time. Uh, I just want to say that I actually talked to Brian Alvarez on Figure Four Daily way back when, kind of a zero issue of my podcasting career. And he was just gobsmacked. There was a wrestler named Mitch Franklin because Rich Franklin was the uh, UFC, a uh, popular UFC fighter at the time. He thought that invited... <laughs> uh, Perhaps not uh, flattering uh, comparisons there. But uh, also my only thought going through this, was Ricky Reyes like still a West Coast guy at this time? Because I'm just thinking, all right, so you pack a bag, you take a cross-country flight, you know, you rent a car, you drive there, and you work for 30 seconds. Like, is that is that worth it? But who knows? Maybe, you know, you get paid the same. Maybe you get to hang out with your friends, and, uh, you know, maybe this 30-second squash is our treat. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking similar on some of these shows where it's like, man, they're investing a lot in Ricky Reyes at this point, in terms of giving him the uh, the squash kind of monster gimmick, you know, and especially on an indie, you're booking a guy, you know, no one's buying these shows for the Ricky Reyes squash matches. But um, Joe, the incredible, this is not necessarily about this match, but this is where it came up in your live report, and this is another great, uh, <laughs> great note from you. You wrote, by the way, whoever had the horrible gas in our section of the bleachers, I hope you burn. <laughs> Oh, I was going to yeah. mention that. We, we, there, was, like, there was a lot of really bad farts, and I kept really being worried that somebody was going to think it was me. It was not me. Joe, it wasn't me, I swear. Okay. What I, n- I, never th- I never thought it was you, Joe. Never. I, I appreciate it. I probably should be a prime suspect, but uh, <laughs> no, it was not I either. I, I wish, Matt, it was, because it would have been a griff, like, after 17 years, this would have been when you finally fetched up, like, Joe, all these years later... You know, pe- people were born, they're almost becoming adults now, and now I'm going to tell you, it was me. I have farted um, at inopportune moments, for sure, but that was <laughs> that was not one of them. I mean, we uh, all have, right? I hope. I hope. Uh, next, uh, ring of our world champion, Brian Danielson, is backstage. Uh, he points out how Roderick Strong has a lot of momentum right now. He recaps uh, Roddy's recent wins. But then he says he can't let Roderick win, defeat him tonight because Roderick wrestles for corporate America. In, in other words, TNA. Uh, Brian talks about how in his native home of Aberdeen, Washington, they just shut down two sawmills. The corporation wasn't losing money. They just wanted their shareholders to make a little more profit. Brian says that fires him up and says he can't let his title fall into corporate America's hands. The Ring of Honor title is independent. It's freedom. And Roderick doesn't deserve it. He hasn't proven anything to Danielson. So – Danielson early on, it's, it's funny to see how, like, you know, we're going to see later on, he, he kind of finds his, what he needs, I think, it, like, what the thrust of his character and his title reign is going to be. But in these first few shows, it's really interesting how his idea, I don't know if it was his idea or Gabe's idea, was more just to focus on the, you know, I'm the, I'm independent, you know, I'm Fugazi, they're right. Green Day, you know, I, I, I'm, Anti- I'm anti-corporate. Yeah. Yeah, and and then and the corporation he was raging against here was Warehouser, who I guess does a lot of like logging and like sawmills and stuff like that. And also he was wearing this shirt, which I'm sure you've noted, Trevor. This this it's uh, yeah. I, I love this shirt. It's like just bright yellow, 
and it just has a bunch of smiley faces on it. And it basically says, I, and then there's a smiley face, happy. I, smiley face, see. I, smiley face, music. I, smiley face, sunrise. I, smiley face, wind. I, smiley face, peace. And I, smiley face, liberty. And I never saw him wear this shirt again. And, man, I hope he still has it. That's got to be somebody's shirt, right? Like, um, I mean, because he's lately was wearing PWG guys' T-shirts. So he was wearing Top Gun Talwar, and he was wearing... I forget somebody else's shirt, so I so, assume it's like – So that was a, like a wrestler – what wrestler would have that I'm shirt? I'm not sure. Hmm. I'm not even sure if it is or not. Uh, this reminds me of the embarrassing thing where I remember – I don't know if I mentioned this on Through the Years, but like one of the early shows, Brian was wearing a, a T-shirt that just had like Psalm something – like one of the Psalm like quoting chapter and verse on, on his T-shirt. I thought – and for years when I saw that at the time the show happened, I thought, oh, man, Brian Danielson must be like secretly religious. And then I realized years later it was just like that's the, the, the verse that um, Samuel L. Jackson says in, in Pulp Fiction. And But for years I thought, oh, Brian Danielson must be like a big Christian because he was wearing this shirt. So Yeah, although, I, although you know what's funny about that? He did – I remember hearing an early Danielson shoot where he talked about going to church. So I do think, like, even though you you maybe didn't realize about that shirt, I think there was a time where he probably was religious. Huh. That's interesting. Um, it genuinely, it's, Brian Danielson, if you're listening, come on the show and we can talk about your your entire religious history. My my dad worked in the Pacific Northwest sawmill or multiple ones, so you know we can we can talk about how corporate America screwed the good natured lumber graders of the world and corporate Canada. Definitely. We're, we're no better, um, as much as we'd like to think we were. Uh, that brings us to the non-title four-corner survival match, because even though Nigel's in this match, the pure title is not on the line. BJ Whitmer defeated Kikataru, Nigel McGuinness, and Nosawa in 9 minutes, 39 seconds, when he pinned Kikataru after he hit the wrist clutch exploder. Um so how about this for craziness? People might not realize, I mean, Nosawa was a Japanese wrestler. He... Uh, Came out, dicked out in Juggalo gear. He would sometimes wrestle in the U.S. People who don't follow Japanese wrestling might not know. Nosawa is now the booker of pro wrestling Noah, you know, one of the bigger promotions in all of Japan. And here he is coming out as a Juggalo in a random <laughs> Ring of Honor undercard match in 2005. Kind of crazy. Um, he comes out to Ice Ice Baby. Kikataro comes out, and this member of the show took place two days before Halloween. He comes out with a little plastic Halloween jack-o'-lantern full of candy that he tosses pieces of to the crowd. Uh, Nosawa asks for a piece, and uh, he gets one. In the his Kikataro's on-screen graphics is Kakaru, which I think is a is a typo, always a good sign. Um, BJ comes out not wearing his fancy dress shirt that Lacey gave to him recently, just a random standard Ring of Honor T-shirt. Uh, Green Lantern fan, I think, is in the aisle, and he creepily reaches out to try and hug Lacey. Whoosh. Lacey seems to have a real bad uh, time with the fans at the, on the show, which we'll get to after the match. I'll give him the benefit so, of the doubt and say that he was playing into the gimmick, which was that she gives her a chance to act sleezed out, skeezed out by the fans. That's what I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here. So 
on paper, this looks like one of those four ways that's the wrestling equivalent of you're throwing a bunch of leftovers into a pot for dinner and you're hoping like it'll turn out to be a good soup and not a disgusting mess because just you got two very different styles of wrestlers here. In practice, rather than being a complete miss, this felt more like two separate matches because I would say Kikutaro and Nosawa wrestled for about half the length of the match at different points. They did a bunch of comedy with a few fast exchanges that no one was going to confuse for like Loki versus Amazing Red, but they were at least trying. They threw like a million Shining Wizards to the point of intentional comedy. Um, Whitmer and McGinnis, when they're in there with each other, they work a couple very brief exchanges. That's what you would expect to them, more the hard-hitting stuff, you know. What you would expect from two guys that I believe when they wrestled recently, they talked about how they had both suffered, like, got knocked out during their match. So they kind of resumed that kind of work. The only thing that feels, the thing that feels weird in this match is when those two kind of separate matches interact. Like when you see BJ after an exchange with, I believe with Nigel is, you know, all beaten down and he's crawling for a tag and it feels very like, Oh, you know, standard, like hard fought match. And then the camera pans and he realized the person he's reaching out to make that hot tag to is freaking kick in his goofy gear. And then it's wild to see like, likewise, like kick take, a stiff running Nigel McGuinness European uppercut in the middle. Like it just feels like this is like a cartoon characters wrestling, you know, action movie stars. It's just such a weird blend and, you know, it doesn't always work overall though. I'd call this match average. It wasn't boring. It just felt incredibly random and, you know, Nigel does feel kind of wasted here because like, you know, you could have had him do a lot of things and he's just kind of, watching a comedy match and nibbling at the corners that I would describe. But um, Matt, what did you think about this? Um, I'll probably, probably be the high vote here. I enjoyed this a lot. Like uh, it was, it was very entertaining. I thought didn't overstay its welcome. And I thought Kikutaro, like he did just enough comedy here. I don't think he was as over the top as he's been in some other matches. Like he didn't do like the slow motion stuff or anything like that, but there was some fun stuff. Like I really liked the Nosawa and Kikutaro stuff like where, um, Kit, where Kikutaro does his own five count when he gets Nosawa, where Nosawa gets him against the ropes, or like when he gets down and he tries to arm wrestle Nosawa because Nosawa is quote very strong, um, or like the uh, the um, the Shining Wizard party that they have, where yeah. uh, where Kikutaro goes for a Shining Wizard, Nosawa blocks it, then Nosawa goes for one, Kikutaro blocks it, then Kikutaro actually connects with one, and it's just like I thought that was fun. I like it when Kikutaro. Um, does a little stomp to Nigel's head after a drop down, does the flare strut, but then he bumps into Nigel and yells, Oh shit! Before Nigel hits a European <laughs> uppercut. I enjoyed that. Um, I, I also thought just like some of like the fast paced wrestling stuff that he did with Nosawa was fun. I thought Nigel played off him pretty well. Yeah, the stuff with BJ and Nigel, like it wasn't super memorable, but like it was such a short match that it didn't really like matter, you know? Um, and yes, um, it might be a waste of Nigel, but you know what? I'm sure sometimes Nigel wanted to be wasted. You know what I mean? Like there'll be plenty of shows for him. Like he, yeah. he, he had his big angle, you know, he doesn't have to have a great match on the show. Yeah. There, there were other long matches. So, um, there was one point where BJ hit a, like a big exploder and Kikutaro kicked out. So then BJ hit the wrist clutch on the wrist clutch on top of Kikutaro's head and got the win with that. And I was wondering, was Kikutaro supposed to kick out that first time? Cause he doesn't seem like a guy that would kick out of one of BJ's big moves. Um, but I mean, whatever. I, I, I really, I really thought it was, it was short and very entertaining. So I don't know if I'd call it like a really good match or anything, but I thought it, it, Provided a uh, a fun little uh, 
different kind of element to the show. It it played its role well in the grand scheme of the event overall. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I had the same thought of like Whitmer, like it seems awfully weird that you have Kikataro of all people be like one of the guys that needs like the super duper version of one of your big moves. Like Kikataro is a guy you could probably safely put away with like a more basic move in a match like this. But that was definitely stood out to me too. Uh, Joe, what did you think? And did you and Matt get pieces of candy? I think I already know the answer to this, sadly. No, we did. I think we were too far back in the bleachers. Oh, no, he didn't throw it to our side. So that really didn't uh, ingratiate him. To us, but uh, this was a big thrill for me personally because I was a big fan of that early 2000s Osaka Pro. And getting a chance to see you know, Ebison or Kikataro or Kikaru or whatever live was kind of kind of mind blowing because it's one thing if Kenny Kobashi, you know, a humongous star, makes his way over to the U.S. But uh, you know, this guy for this who works for this very small Japanese indie ending up in Woodbridge, Connecticut was kind of like, whoa, that's that's kind of crazy. So you know, I was already super hyped. For that and yeah, I thought there were some really funny bits when he did his own count with the his, did his own ref count. Like I legitimately laughed at that, and yeah, I thought the wrestling was uh you know solid overall. I thought this was a nice fit into the card. I was thinking maybe you know man, maybe this would have been better if they did Nosawa and Kikitaro and maybe had BJ and uh, Nigel do their own separate singles match. But I don't think either guy was really in a position to lose at that point. So. And also, we saw BJ versus Nigel singles match a, a few shows earlier, and this was better than that. <laughs> Okay, well, there you go. So, yeah, I'd say this was a, a net positive for the card overall. Past Joe Gagne uh, caught something that did not make the DVD where he wrote, uh, Ebison apparently, aka Kikataro, proposed to Lacey post-match who rudely turned him down. I wish this had made DVD. I, I would have loved to have seen him propose. It's very, it's very rude to turn down marriage from a stranger. <laughs> Very rude. So I met you the first time, and you, you didn't. You didn't say yes. It's rude. It's just a rude thing to do. And she could have caught half of all that candy. I mean, yeah. come on. But the song <laughs> that the DVD did catch, and I, I will make a note. If you watch the show, this is I, I found it worth seeing because I thought this was kind of nuts. Um, after the match, Lacey gets into it with a fan at ringside, and she actually spits at them. And it's a moment like you know she's always screaming at fans at ringside, you know, after matches. But this felt really real to me. Like she spits at the guy, and then she backs away from him. And then she screams in like what seems like a very real angry thing. She goes, do not call me a whore, you fat, disgusting piece of shit. And I don't know if maybe like if she was not feeling if this guy did not hit a real nerve with her. This is like the best acting performance I've ever seen for, from her because I really bought this. Actually, I thought, holy shit. This well, guy must have said like the worst thing. Well, yeah, she uses that word like I don't blame her. <laughs> Yeah, but I have, to, I have a feeling, as sad as this is, that she's heard that a lot. I mean, the fans have chanted she's a crack whore at her in unison. So I have to think that maybe this guy went beyond the pale in some way even more than that. But I'm not sure. But it, it, it's worth knowing, anyone that watches this, see if I'm crazy enough. If you don't see, think the same thing, that she's, like, legit pissed off here. But um, Either way, that brings us to AJ Styles defeated Austin Aries via pinfall in 20 minutes, 35 seconds, after he hit a Styles Clash off the second turnbuckle. Uh, Joe Gagne from the past, he wrote a thing in the live report. Again, another, thank God we had past Joe Gagne. He's really bringing a lot to the show. Um, he wrote another thing that did not make it to the live DVD event, 
DVD of this. Um, Joe, you wrote at the time, as AJ got in the ring, he was beamed with a roll of toilet paper. So he went to the crowd and found the kid who did it, made him lie down in the middle of the ring, put his foot on his chest, and had the ref count to three. Then he gave the kid a kick in the butt as he leaves the ring. AJ Styles is A-OK in my book. Uh, <laughs> I remember. I remember that now. I totally forgot it, but now that now that you read that, I remember that. That's that was wild. <laughs> there should be a DVD of just the things that did not make the show. Apparently, the gas, the the proposal, <laughs> the kid with the toilet paper. A, d- wait, a DVD of farts. <laughs> I mean, we got it. Mean, that's one of the great ROH mysteries of two thousand five. Um, so. Uh, Joe, I'll throw it to you on this one. Uh, I believe I'm not 100 sure. I checked cage match, and sometimes obviously cage match might miss. Sign. I believe this was not just the first time these two wrestled in a singles match in Ring of Honor, but I think anywhere against each other. So it's something of a dream match in 2005. Even even in 2005, what do you think about this? You know, I'll get quite a bit quite a bit of time. Yeah, this one never found that extra gear for me. It was, I mean, it was a very very good match. But you look at that, the participants at the time, you know, expect like a nine, and it was more like a seven. And they, they seem to be on different pages for a few spots as well. Like, you know, there's some things that just look awkward, which is surprising for both guys. But, you know, a lot of AJ's offense looked really sick, including this discus lariat. I thought Aries did a great job selling his back uh, right to the end. So, you know, very good, but not probably not what you would ultimately hope for. Um, Matt, you know, I think Joe, like we had all the live reports, that was very much the consensus. In fact, there was a live report from a guy named Peter Holby who wrote to the torch and he wrote, it looked like there were a few miscommunications in the match, but all in all, it was a very good match. But I saw a lot of live reports that were saying good, but not as good as what you would expect. And so Joe chimes in with that. Would you agree with that? that yeah, I mean, this I, wasn't as what you'd expect. Yeah, I mean, this was a dream match for me at the time. Like, I really loved Austin Aries. AJ was just on fire in TNA, you know, and like as we said, not as much in ROH. But um, yeah, I don't even know if I'd say this was very good. Like, this was good, but it was more disappointing than it was good to me, um, given where both guys were at the time. There was just no emotional hook in the match, and. Joe, you mentioned like a lot of AJ's moves look good, and I agree, but emotionally, it didn't feel like his heart was fully in this match. And for Aries, I think at times it did. I feel like Aries was taking this match as a bigger deal than AJ was, which, you know, makes sense. AJ was a bigger star. Um, he was on TV, and, and, and Aries was too, but not in a you know major position. But, um, you know, Aries seemed really amped, like, to me, and AJ, Styles just did not bring that intensity. Um, but you know, they, they, it was mechanically good. You know, they were they were taking their time. This is another long match. This the show had a bunch of them, um, and uh, you know, they like they they're, they hit a lot of their big spots. But it was just like, just things moved very slowly. And you know, there was there was a story to it. AJ targeted Aries back, and and Aries did do a good job selling it. But every time things picked up again, things slowed down again. And I just didn't feel like the way the crowd was reacting. Um, was that the, that the slow pace was really working? You know, sometimes a slow match is fine, but I think it just didn't work on this night. I think they, they should have they should have picked up the pace and you know made a little bit more of a match pop a little bit more. That's what I think. The, like there was a point where the, the crowd was quiet, so they start this dueling chant, and it just felt very half hearted. Like later on during the Curry Man Lethal match, you get some dueling chants that are much more intense and like full throated than this. Like. um 
you know, when Aries is in control, I feel like things popped a little bit more, um, which to me lent credence to my theory that he's more up for the match than Styles was. But, you know, I don't know. Like, down the stretch, they do hit some big moves, and, um, you know, AJ folds uh, Aries up with the belly to back, which I always like, the pump handle backbreaker he gets. You know, they they get moves where they're blocking the Styles clash. Uh, AJ sort of messes up the moonsault DDT, and Aries blocks it. Um, so then he goes for it again and he gets it better the second time. So like, there were some things where AJ was a little bit off. I did like the ending though. Um, you know, there's a series of reversals. Aries hits a brain buster. Aries tries to put AJ into the position for the 450, but AJ gets a roll up for two and Aries hits him in the head, goes back up, but AJ stops him on the top rope and they struggle on the top rope and AJ hits, and AJ hits the Pele kick while Aries is on the top rope, which causes Aries to slump down, and that's when Styles gets him into the Styles clash off the middle rope for the three count. So I like that, but I don't know. There was a, I, When I say there was something missing from the match, I would say there was a lot missing in terms of what you might expect. So this was, this was pretty disappointing, despite being mostly well-executed. Yeah, I, I would say this was a good, as in like maybe three and a half star, but like it's not as good as the opener. And from these guys, especially when this, again, I don't know if this is why it was booked, but it kind of felt like a make good for, you know, you're not getting Joe on the show, so we're going to give you this. You know, I completely agree with what both you guys said, everything you said about this match, about these guys seem slightly not in sync with each other, which, you know, sometimes happens when you're wrestling a guy for the first time in a singles match. And yeah, I even agree about, AJ, Matt, you're saying maybe AJ it didn't look like his heart was all the way in it. And I know the boys on the uh, honorable mention podcast have said sometimes that the thought maybe with it, with some in and out of the company w- was that when AJ came back to Ring of Honor after the whole TNA kerfuffle where they pulled the talent in 2004, that he was never quite as all out again in Ring of Honor at, at, the, at that point. I feel this is one of the first big matches where you really – can really accuse him of that. I mean, not that he was great, but I think this is one of the matches where you really notice, like, this does not feel like he is giving you everything he has. It, it really, the pace is a little slower than you might think. It, like Joe said, it never really reaches that last gear of, like, speed, intensity, excitement that you'd want from these two. It, it's it's two wrestlers with good-looking offense running through all their cool-looking signature offense, but not really doing much above that. And there's a few moments where it's a little... Hinky, like you guys mentioned, Aries selling is really good. I love that Aries is one of the guys that when a bipar is injured, he will literally scream things like "ow my back," which is so corny, but I love it. I love when I love whenever wrestlers just literally say "ow this body part hurts." I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I do that when I'm in pain at a certain body part. Like, oh my, exactly. you know, my leg is killing me. You know, like I'll say that. Like, so why not? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would. I, I more wrestlers need to get verbal with that kind of stuff. Um, I, I will say I would have been more disappointed in this match months ago, but I feel like Matt, we've seen in 2005 a bunch of Ring of Honor matches that looked better on paper, and then then that looked great on paper and turned out to be just good. And so a few months ago, I feel like if we I'd seen this, I would have been way down this. At this point, I feel like it kind of ended up being what I thought it would be, not what I hoped it would be. But kind of what I thought it would be. Well, also, like if this was as match that if this was a match that was as good as it could have been in two thousand and five, like you'd have remembered it in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it would have been yeah, like amazing. It, 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 you know. Especially when it was, I think the first time these two wrestled each other. Yeah, there should be. You should, if it was a good match, this should be very memorable, and it, it isn't. Um, 
I, that ugly looking botch of the styles, you know, where he does the uh, springboard moonsault into the reverse DDT. It's it's that's the the spot where you really see the miscommunication because it felt they redo it moments later, and even on the second time where it technically hits, it it still doesn't look. It felt like both times Aries was going down before Styles was ready to go down, and just like to me that kind of some of these two just did not weren't quite on the same page on even their normal stuff here. It, almost like Aries didn't know how to take the move. And as for the finish, even the finish I thought was a little weird where like, man, I agree. It was kind of fun the way it was set up. And it was, it was a natural setup in the sense that Aries finishes the 450. So it only makes sense that if AJ's able to counter with it, it puts Aries in perfect position for the second rope styles clash. But I felt like the second rope styles clash doing like a top rope or second rope version of your big finisher that's the kind of thing you see in like you say for a big huge finish of a, of a major match and this match they did not wrestle this match especially aj like it was a big match and then to all of a sudden see him pull out like a second rope styles clash i was like well that seemed like a, a, a move out of a different match like a bigger version of this match but overall disappointing but still good but disappointing um after the match, AJ raises Aries' hand, and Aries points to AJ's X-Division title, which is something that uh, AJ carried to the ring. He was X-Division champ at this time. So, you know, definitely we're realizing, we're seeing the signs of a lot of guys in Ring of Iron now working uh, TNA at this point where they're at. You know, they don't really acknowledge it on commentary, but, you know, they're kind of building up something that's not going to be in Ring of Honor. AJ leaves. Aries gets a big chant from the crowd, but then Prince Nana and Alex Shelley storm the ring and beat him down. Jade Chunk runs in to attack Nana. He Nana picks her up, and only for Jade to counter into a pretty nice uh, tornado DDT. The coolest Shelley thing she's then, done so far, for sure, was that was that spinning DDT. Definitely. Um, Shelley then corners Jade, but a recovered Aries lays him out with a forearm. Aries then hits Nana with the brain buster and wipes his crotch with Nana's headdress. So just continuing the. Uh, Gen next feud here. Um, then it's intermission time. It's intermission and Gary Michael Capetta is backstage with Jay lethal. Gary says Jay's mentor, Samoa Joe is excited to see Jay take on someone that Joe has had a problem with recently. Christopher Daniels lethal points out. This is the first show in a streak of 61 shows that Joe has had to miss, which as we talked about earlier, that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, Jay promises that he will do Joe's bidding and pin Daniels tonight. And then he says, when Joe comes back, they have tag team titles to win as is always the case with Jay lethal promos at this point. Boy, was he, he he got better. He got a lot better in promos because everything about whenever he even has to carry a short promo, you not looking great. But um, that brings us to our next match: Colt Cabana defeated B Boy via pinfall in twelve minutes twenty five seconds after he hit a lariat. Uh, the Observer wrote that this was supposed to be Homicide versus Colt Cabana, but they apparently tried to play off Homicide's problems a month or so back as they switched the match during the week, acting like Homicide couldn't come to the show. Uh, the live, Joe, you wrote in your live report at the time, in fact, not only did they switch this match from Colt Cabana versus Homicide, you wrote that they, they removed Homicide from the card only three days before the show for, and for undisclosed reasons. I looked at the ring of our website at the time. Yeah. They didn't really give a reason why homicide all of a sudden couldn't be on the show. Of course we will see homicide. We'll get to after the match. Um, I thought this was just okay. It was, in fact, I thought in some ways this was the worst match on the show. I thought it was just average. It was pre, it was decent, nondescript. You know, there's a few 
sequences of ch- quick chain wrestling where it almost looks like it's going to fall apart, but they managed to save it every time. But this was B-Boy's second, I believe, last main card match in Ring of Honor. He had had a couple. He had, he was in a six, I think like a six man at, at, at a show earlier in 2005, uh, like a six-way match. He had been in a couple of pre-show matches, one against Josh Daniels and one against Kevin Steen. And this is a this is a big spot for me. It's the third from the top, a decent length against a good opponent. And I was disappointed by him. He didn't do anything terrible, but his wrestling was fine. He had a couple of neat combos. I like his neck breaker. I like his running corner drop kick. He is a big move for him. But in terms of personality or leaving any kind of impression, he, I thought he really showed nothing in this match. And what should have been like a big match for him. Like if you had asked me after this match, what makes B Boy B Boy? Like what makes him stand out? What what's his Hook. We're using a lot on this show, um, and I had only if I had only seen this match, I wouldn't have a clue. Like I, I don't know from watching this match, you don't get like a single inkling of what makes this guy special. What, what is his strength? He just works very plain, nondescript here. Um, sometimes, Matt, we criticize Julius Smokes for, uh, you know, like sometimes he can almost take over a match and overshadow it. To me, this is a match where I was glad he was kind of taking over because. He definitely kind of filled the va- the the vacuum of personality that uh I believe B Boy was leaving by you know just being his natural um, Julius Smoke self. At one point, I loved where um, B Boy was like hurt at one point in the match, and Smokes just starts yelling like B Boy's in trouble, B Boy's in trouble to himself, almost like a like George Steinbrenner in Seinfeld, like or like you know George's getting mad, like or that might have been. George Costanza. I forget who did the George is getting mad if it was Steinbrenner or Costanza. I just love this. I think they, I think they both. Talking. I think they both did it. And it's yeah, George. And it's it. George is getting upset. Yeah, I, I, I love. I love that the way he was just. He was almost saying it in Julius Smokes' version of the going, B boys in trouble. B boys in trouble. I like that. And uh, I thought overall the most notable thing about this entire match was Colt Cabana saying "boote" before his big flying ass attack in the corner because I, I wrote my notes. Mark's an important middle career stage for Colt between when he set it up that move by saying nothing and when he would eventually set up that move by saying flying asshole. So this was the the middle ground where he decided, well, how about I try saying "boote" instead? And that was my biggest note for this match, honestly. Uh, Joe, what did you think about this match? Am I too hard on this? No, I watched this twice and I'm struggling to remember details other than i thought i saw the ref counted three like like very early in the match i was like i remember being that short because he when he dropped down you know he has hand hit the mat and then he started counting so it was really like his hand hit the mat three times but anyway yeah i think julius smokes may work the hardest out of anyone in this match because he was uh he may have been the most entertaining part, especially when he called Cole Cabana Joe Piscopo. Which, that's not uh, the first time he's even done that. That's his go-to for. Oh, Cole. that's a go-to. Oh, I missed that earlier. No, that was uh, I got a kick. Uh, yeah, I got a kick out of that. I have to say, but yeah, pretty pretty nondescript. It wasn't not bad, but just you know, just happened and then ended. Uh, a reference you appreciate because definitely it's not dated like Hook. Thank um, God, yeah. <laughs> Matt, what did you think about the match? Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't have anything to add that you both didn't already say. I agree with you completely, Trevor. I agree with you, Joe, that Smokes was the most entertaining part of the match. You know, B-Boys in Trouble, B-Boys in Trouble was a great spot. Also, I think, did Joe, did you post this where the crowd yells uh, to send him to the back and Smokes just like shoots a- shoots his head around and stares at the fan with like a deranged smile. Like, oh, I did. Yes, I did yeah, post that. Yeah, like, yes, that's a great moment. Um, you know, also like the back rakes and clapping. 
um, Colt's ears. Like I just Smokes was on on the show. I I had missed him on the previous uh, two shows, and I'm glad to have him back. Um, but yeah, I, everything that you said, Trevor, about the match, I agree with completely. The worst match on the show, very, very not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, after the match, Grim Reefer tries to sneak attack Colt off the top roll, but Colt spots him, takes him out with a lariat. Then the lights go out and Homicide's music hits. When the lights come back on, Homicide's in the ring, and he and Colt proceed to brawl out of the ring, leading to Homicide destroying Colt with a running chair shot and a bunch of punches. Colt fights back. He hits a big running chair shot of his own. Uh, they both then clash chairs and brawl into the crowd past a front row fan with some, who has had some amazing facial expressions. This person has one of the most expressive faces I've ever seen. I, uh, he might be, even though it won't come across great, probably in the small little window of your phone, this might be, have to be the image of the show. But wait, 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 Not wait, wait, you're, wait. you're talking about the tall mustache guy, right? Yeah. So it wasn't just his facial expressions. Like they were like telling him to move and he was standing there being like, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. Yeah. And like people were like yelling. Like he was being like really like the recalcitrant. Like I just like he was not listening and like kind of belligerent. And it was just like a very odd moment. Like he was just, he was refusing to move out of the way of the wrestlers and he was giant. It was very funny. Yeah. And yeah, he's arguing with the ref, and then there's the spot I, I'm going to screen cap is he like turns and he sees like homicides like an inch from him standing on the barricade he's right at, about to like jump off, and he just has this a gas face like what? There's a wrestling match too? I was too busy fighting with like Todd Sinclair right now or whatever. I mean whoever the ref was. So um, as usual, it's hard to make out some of the action in the crowd because of the darkness, but we can make out some stuff like Colt punching Julius Smokes at one point and him smashing Homicide into a drink machine in the back of the building. Uh, they brawl in the bleachers and Grim Reefer and Smokes come out to help take out Colt. Ricky Reyes comes out from the back and joins in. Joe Colt and I are on camera during this spot very, 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 very briefly. Yes, um, uh, Joe shared an image of that with us privately when he was rewatching the show, and Matt said, do not use that as a photo. I'm not <laughs> going to use it, but fans, just look in the crowd ball and just imagine who Matt and Joe are, because it's going to be two of them. Um, <laughs> I'm, not the, I'm not the tall guy with the mustache. <laughs> Pick your poison. That, uh, Colt fights back. He holds his own one on four as they make their way back to the ring. Colt and Lance chair shots on Reefer and Smokes as he and Homicide go back to fighting. Eventually, this all ends with the big spot, which is Homicide ace hitting an ace crusher off the apron through a table, which is one of those bad table spots. We just saw one recently when uh, AJ Styles and Rave had their bluff. One of those spots where it's a move where the only way you can do it safe through a table is by completely taking the bump yourself. And I just feel like when it's a spot like that, just don't do the spot because, like, basically – Doing the ace crusher off the apron through a table, Homicide basically just jumps off and, like, takes the entire bump through the table himself, clearly. But, I mean, that's the safe way to do it, but then maybe that's just the spot you don't do off the apron. I, um, I, I, thought, anyway, it, I thought it looked cool. <laughs> like, the crowd loves it. Like, like yeah. maybe I'm just being a grump. The crowd loves it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought, I like, I like the way they were, they were, like, fighting over it for a long time, and then just all, of, and then he just hits it, like, super suddenly, like that. I really thought it looked really cool. Like, I actually liked this brawl a lot. Like, I, I mean, yes, it was bad in, like, the ways that the ROH crowd stuff is bad and that, like, you can't see a lot of it. But, like, this was the most intense thing the two of them have done yet together. And I, I thought it, it was good enough that I think it almost made up for the bad match that happened right before it. Yeah, I was about to ask, um, because I just wrote my notes. This whole brawl was only a few minutes shorter than the match and definitely was more, way more action packed and exciting than the match. So, Matt, I was going to ask your thoughts, but you just gave them. But I guess I'll also ask you, um, 
What do you think about the idea of, I mean, I don't know, maybe there were some extenuating exertion stats that came up, but the idea of you book Homicide Cult, which is a fairly big match, and then three days before the show, you you say Homicide's off the show, presumably after a lot of people already bought their tickets, unless you're waiting to buy them at the door, and then you have Homicide show up anyway as a surprise, and you have him basically do almost a full-length like match in terms of a crowd brawl. Like, what do you think about that movie? It, it, it's definitely a choice. And I have to wonder if there was some kind of story behind why that happened the way they did. Probably some story, but like, I don't know. Like in a, in one sense, like maybe if, I, if like that was my home market and it was the only time I would get to see an ROH show, like maybe I'd be annoyed. Um, but like in the sense that wrestling's not a real competition, they basically did have a match. And yeah. like, and it was better than the match that was actually officially a match. And it get, it, it allowed as a, in terms of booking, it allowed them to like, you know, kind of, um, let the, let the storyline kind of extend a little bit. You know, they didn't have to, you know, like they, they didn't, they didn't use up a match on this show so they could do it another, on another show. And they, you know, so they got the, they let the angle kind of linger a little bit more. And so I thought it worked out in the end. I, I, I mean, I, I didn't bother me. I guess is what I'm saying. And, and but I could see why it would bother somebody who was like just going to this show and this show only, and they just get this weird, screwy version of what could have just been a normal, exciting match. Um, I could see, I could see that side. But for me personally, I thought, I thought it worked out fine. Yeah, I can see both sides of it, Joe. Like, what did you think about that kind of stuff? And how fun was it to just see the brawl like go right past you? <laughs> No, yeah, I I mean, I just assume they're like, well, we don't want to do the match yet. We'll just, you know, pull the swerve. And <clears throat> I don't think that's ever really a good idea to announce a match and then kind of renege on it after people presumably bought their tickets. But like you said, like Homicide showed up and they, you know, had a 10-minute fight. So, you know, you pretty much got to see everything you would want to see had you assumed Homicide would be on the show anyway. Yeah, the only thing I'm I'm thinking is maybe I know like I think Dave wrote that in the Observer saying that the thought was that they were playing off maybe the thought was they were playing off that story that happened like a month or two or whatever earlier where there was thoughts that homicide might not be able to work a show because of some like parole problems so maybe they were trying to play off of that I know homicide was having shoulder problems around this time I don't know if they had already started or they were about to start but maybe there was a thought this is just me speculating that like doing an impromptu crowd brawl instead of a match would be a way to kind of, you know, homicide, you know, he did quite a bit of brawling here, but he didn't have to take many bumps. So maybe they thought, Hey, this is almost like a semi night off while still using him. I'm not sure I could see either way, but, um, yeah, I remember he didn't work the TPI that a couple months earlier that year. I think it was just like, they said like, well, he couldn't leave New York. So I imagine they were playing off that to some extent. Yeah. So Definitely, there's different reasons why. Again, I, I have no idea. Um, that brings us to the semi-main event. Jay Lethal defeats Curry Man, scored to the ring by Allison Danger, via pinfall in 22 minutes, 30 seconds after he hits a dragon suplex. Uh, so after Lethal makes his entrance, out comes just Allison Danger in a latex nun outfit, I guess two days before Halloween, although she probably would wear this at various points because it's the prophecy. Um, Danger finally gets to talk. My, I was so annoyed that she hasn't gotten to say anything in months. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she gets on the mic. She tells us Christopher Daniels can't be here tonight due to the birth of his son, which was a thing that had just happened, I think, the week before. The crowd boos. Some of the crowd cheers this. I, 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 I saw some live reports that say some people booed it. 
I mean, I guess there's a mix of reactions, but she of, goes, co- of course there's going to be some assholes booing it. <laughs> yeah. But she says, in the spirit of Halloween, we have a found a suitable replacement. Out comes Curry Man, which of course is Christopher Daniels. The crowd not only chants his name, but hot, the hot and spicy over and over. Curry Man even kind of gets Bobby Cruz to dance with him for a second. And, uh, yeah, this was a different kind of match, wouldn't you say, uh, uh, Joe, what would, would you say this was a different kind of match? Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, there's this band you've seen like 20 times live, and, and one time they pull out this obscure B-side, and, you know, maybe it's not a great song, or maybe it's not your favorite song, but you got to hear it, and it's kind of this cool live experience. And that's kind of what this match was, because, you know, I know uh, he had brought up the gimmick later on in TNA quite a bit, but it was still fairly rare to, to see. I think they mentioned he worked one prior Ring of Honor show. Yeah, it's only the second time he has yeah, ever been yeah, he in a Dragon Gate Invasion as Curry Man. That was it. Yeah, so it was, and you know, a lot of people recognized it. As soon as the music hit, people seemed to know where this was going. I thought it was a, a weird stylistic choice, given where the storyline was going, where, you know, like, oh, he's fighting the protege of this guy, and, you know, you would think, oh, he beats him or roughs him up or cheats or something, but instead they had this really wacky comedy deal like half comedy half straight match i think the whole thing went 20 minutes in total it was just like you know it was it was fairly entertaining enough i thought the wrestling was fine when they got down to it i thought it was just sort of an oddball choice to make and and went like really long in a match on a a card full of long matches i didn't know if this needed to be a, a fourth one yeah this this was a bizarre match uh especially in the semi main event slot uh it, it's some the you you look at this match and go oh twenty two minutes they're really going for it. when you watch the match the first half of this match is some very basic wrestling but most of the first half is just them playing to the crowd which is really into Curry Man or at least chanting hot and spicy a lot and then there's a ton of different dance spots it gets to the, and it gets to the point where the the crowd's requesting so many dance spots you know. Uh, the ref dances a tiny bit. Lethal ends up doing some dancing. Curry Man, of course, does a lot of dancing. They chant to get Alice in Danger in. She does a very little bit of dancing. It gets to the point where Daniels, as Curry Man, actually gets on the house mic and basically tells the crowd, like, you've got to stop asking for dancing because we're not going to have time to actually do a wrestling match. And then from there, they basically do like a nine or ten minute regular Christopher Daniels, Jay Lethal wrestling match, which is perfectly solid wrestling. It's nothing that's going to really get your heart pounding. But it, it was like your, 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 um, your enjoyment of this match is going to de- all solely depend on how much you like goofy shtick. Cause the first time it's how like the idea of have of curry man having a dance party with everyone in the ring. If that appeals to you, you're going to really enjoy this match. If that doesn't appeal to you, this match isn't for you. I mean, Matt, what did you think? I mean, yeah, basically <laughs> what you, you, you all said it all. I mean, they, uh, it's like they, they, they're having fun. And like, I wonder if the match is actually longer than it would have been because they spent so much yeah. time playing to the crowd. Like it would have just been like maybe like 15 minutes or like 14 minutes. But, you know, they really get into this hot and spicy thing. Like the, the, I mean, the crowd really does love it. And I remember that from the lot, you know, I'm not so into Curry Man, but like you can't, you can't argue with results. The crowd was super into this. Um, they're, you know, like they, they, they get, yeah, like you said, they try to get everyone to dance. They, they, um, and it's funny because like the, the first thing they do is they try to get lethal to dance. And like lethal's whole dance at first is just Rick Rude hip gyrations. And, <laughs> and then, but, but then he, uh, then he does do the running man. So I, I mean, not well, but he does it. So, and then they get Keener to dance and Keener's dance 
is just him doing like raising the roof, which is, as far as I can tell, not a dance. <laughs> then they get, then they try to get Alice in danger to dance, and she comes in, and then she just raises the roof. So, like, my only conclusion that I drew from this is this is a crew of people that cannot dance. That that right? That's the only. I mean, that's because like. If if someone asks you to dance and you can dance, you're not just going to stand there and raise the roof for like uh, a third of a second, right? Um, but uh, I mean, they, they, the the one kind of dance thing that um, Curry Man and Lethal do is they do the thing where they're kicking each other's shins, but then they do the whole. Well, I don't know if there's a name for this dance where they like kind of like step back, then like kick each other's shins and grab each other's hands and like hop around like in a circle, right? Like, is there a name for that dance? Um, there must be, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Oh, I saw it, but like, yeah. yeah, I don't know the name for it. But yeah, that that's my main conclusion. This these people cannot dance. Uh, maybe Daniels can, but definitely not Keener, Lethal, or Danger. They cannot dance, or they can't, or they don't think they can at the very least. Um, but yeah, it's the match itself. I mean, yeah, it was fine. Like it was, it was. Um, the pop for the finish was not that big, you know, because I mean, Lethal gets a win over Christopher Daniels here. But I yeah. guess, you know, it's the thing is like the the way they they really straddle the line here because it's like, are we in storyline? Are they are we supposed to take them as actually different people? It's kind of hard to say. Um, yeah, you're right that like it would have made more sense to just do the match because it plays into the storyline. But maybe, you know, part of it was probably Halloween, and maybe they also didn't want to have. Lethal actually beat Christopher Daniels. Yeah. And they probably also didn't want to have Daniels beat Jay Lethal. And so this was a compromise. Jay Lethal beats Curry Man. And I'm sure that I like that's probably it, right? Um so uh so that's probably what it's either Halloween or that. Like yeah. you, you gave both the reasons I thought. I thought one or the other. It's either they thought they'd do it for Halloween or yeah. Or a combi- or a combination. Daniels. Yeah. Yeah. Um couple other quick notes from this match look at my notes uh lenny leonard at one point in commentary says lethal's win jay lethal's win over loki has elevated him and skyrocketed him and i just thought nope like (laughs) yeah when you say that it really puts a point like it actually emphasizes how much it hasn't you know it's better just not to say that at all (laughs) and then um this is a a chance i can't decide i you know i thought this crowd sometimes could be a little too cute for their own amusement but this is one i don't know if i love this or i hate this at one point a random fan just shouts out at curry man you're better than pepper and i thought you're you're going i mean (laughs) you're trying yeah i mean daniel's just sort of like paused there and he was just like kind of shrugged and just went back to wrestling (laughs) like like he wanted to react to that but probably just had no idea what to say Fun fact, um, that was Matt that yelled that. <laughs> I, I, I yelled it from all the way in the back. He could hear it. I was just, yep. I just really felt strongly that he was better than Pepper. <laughs> That's his uh, line. Of all kinds of Pepper. I, any kind of Pepper is Curry Man is better than it. At wrestling. Mm-hmm. At wrestling. That's the part that he didn't hear. He's better at than Pepper at wrestling. Because, oh, like, he's talking about I, Pepper parts. No, because I would actually rather put Pepper on my food than Curry Man, you know? Mm, curry's good no no curry man i don't want to put curry man mm, on curry my man's good okay <laughs> um we cut to a close-up of some spears and a deer head on a wall somewhere as the graphic tells us we are in ghana west africa which i presume is as true as five minutes later in the opening match graphic um the well, i would have really appreciated their commitment to art if they actually <laughs> had him fly to ghana to cut this promo <laughs> We're going to fly Reyes across the country for 30 seconds. We're going to fly Jimmy Ray to Ghana for a two-minute promo. 
Uh, the camera pans down and we see Jimmy Rave holding a roll of toilet paper. Rave says, it's great to be in Ghana, a place where he's respected, where people worship him as he walks down the street. But then in the bathroom, he sees this common single ply toilet paper. Rave says, people think it's amusing to throw it at him. He talks about how disgraced and humiliated he is by it being thrown at him. He says he's going to refuse to wrestle if it keeps being thrown into his ring. Rave then recaps his recent feuds with CM Punk and AJ Styles. We see clips of both those feuds. Rave takes credit for Punk wanting out of Ring of Honor. He takes credit for making revitalizing the Styles Clash. Rave says he's come up with the most devastating finisher in wrestling history, and we'll see it soon. He then turns his attention to Generation Next and builds up their upcoming Steel Cage Warfare match. He says if Generation Next even makes it to that match, they'll see the embassy standing in the ring in front of them, and they'll probably defecate themselves in fear, so they'll need this toilet paper more than him. I actually thought this was a pretty decent promo from Rave. We haven't gotten to see a lot of extended promos for Rave. I mean, we haven't gotten to see we haven't to see any before this, at least not by himself. So, like this, yeah, he did a, yeah, he did a real a, good job considering. Yeah, and uh, I guess what I, I, this is the weird kind of places my mind goes to. But I thought you're, you know the idea you know with the embassy is that Rave is pampered and Ghana gets like the most luxurious things. And then he makes a point that Rave tells us of standard. Look what I see in the bathroom, standard single ply toilet paper. And my mind immediately went to Prince Nana wouldn't cheap out on single ply. Like, come on, that, that that's, that's a lapse in, in, in storyline, you know, judgment here, but otherwise, hey, honestly, the good. toilet paper looks soft to me. I don't know. It didn't, didn't, <laughs> didn't look like the, like the cheapest possible toilet paper or anything like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is this is when you're going to start seeing once this DVD makes the rounds. This is when you're going to actually. I think they might have even posted this promo on the website because they really wanted people to start bringing toilet paper. You're going to see that real soon. The the big the big wave of toilet paper thrown at Jimmy Rave. Yeah, I, I do think this was the era, and obviously the Wayback Machine on the archives on the websites that let you go back and see websites at as they were at the time, very spotty with, with ring of honor and other sites. And at this point, but like, I do think this was the era where ring of honor's website was starting to post more segments on video clips like this online. Oh yeah. And and, and there's going to be a big one that I'm going to talk about at the end of this episode, actually. So, uh, that brings us to the main event, the ring of honor world title match. Brian Danielson successfully defends the title when he defeats Roderick Strong via submission in 37 minutes, 9 seconds. We made him tap out with, I guess, an Amaplata armbar. So I have a lot to say about this match. I'm going to try and say some and then break it up. But uh, I think this match is secretly very important to Brian Danielson's career. And I think Brian Danielson even would say that in some ways. So we'll go first right away, actually, to uh, his book. Uh, Daniel Bryan, or Brian Danielson, he, but he wrote it as da- Daniel Bryan. We've been quoting his book recently because he's starting to get to a point in his career where he really t- writes about in his book. And the last time where we left off in his book, he had talked about, it was after like the double shot with the uh, Aries and Carino matches where he talked about the Aries match and how it was good, but the crowd didn't react the way he wanted and he needed something. And so we're going to pick up right where that left off because that's where he talks about this match. So Brian wrote, I knew I needed to change something or my title ring was going to bomb. It wasn't until I was in the ring wrestling Roderick Strong that I found the answer. The fans of Connecticut were fully behind Roderick, with a few of them jeering me. I started to subtly get more aggressive, then became less subtle about it. That kind of transition isn't so strange in wrestling, but my thought process changed. I am the Ring of Honor world champion, and this guy isn't in my league. In fact, not only is Roderick not in my league, nobody's in my league. 
Not anybody in Ring of Honor, not anybody in WWE. I am the best, and I will prove it every night. That night, after I beat Roderick, I cut a promo about being the best in the world, and it stuck stuck throughout my 462-day reign. It doesn't sound that great now, since people have heard both Chris Jericho and CM Punk claim to be the best in the world on, on national TV. But at the time, nobody had consistently made that claim in years. It legitimized me among the independent wrestling fan base, and I was then a top guy anywhere I went against anybody I faced. It worked because it was boastful and gave me an attitude. It was also a rallying cry for the Ring of Honor fans. They believed ROH was producing the best wrestling in America. WWE was far too interested in entertainment, and that didn't appeal to this audience who wants something grittier and organic. They wanted most of their action between the ropes, not on the microphone or in silly backstage vignettes. Most of all, they wanted to believe that the wrestlers they watched at Ring of Honor events, at least some of them, were quote-unquote better than those appearing on TV programming of larger organizations. So I changed my character to appeal to that desire. So... That's kind of Brian's background. And I would say watching this match, like I remember this match kind of being good, but I didn't remember like watching this match. I think you really only appreciate if you watch every ring of honor match, like Matt and I have been doing in order. I really do feel like this is the match where like Brian basically says in the book, I feel like to watch this match is to watch a match where a guy had almost all the ingredients and he finds the last piece that brings it all together. And to also, me, also last- actually seeing his epiphany on screen in real time. That's the other thing. Yeah, it, it, and and it's an amazing match in that sense. And I feel like the thing that he was missing was cockiness. It, like not cocking. Like here, here's the thing. Like Brian had almost all the. I this match, in my opinion, is like the birth of the quote-unquote best in the world, Brian Danielson, which is the Brian Danielson we still see aspects of, I would argue, to this day. I, I would argue recently in AEW, you've been seeing a lot of this Danielson. In fact, you know, on these AEW uh, Rampage where he uh, gave the big smirk to, um, kind of the patronizing smirk to uh, John Moxley after he won his comeback match, like that Danielson's kind of birthed in this match. And I, I feel like most of the aspects that that make this Danielson this Danielson he already had like Brian always wrestled with a bit of a mean streak um he always wrestled better I feel like the dirty secret of Brian Danielson for people that just know him in WWE where he wrestled mostly as an underdog the dirty little secret is Brian Danielson is even better when he's kind of like the dominant guy in his matches I believe when he's kind of the one that's leading and is is the favorite um his offense has always been kind of snappy and and more stiff and mean in kind of, you know, submissions where he would kind of torture the guy. And, you know, he always wrestled in the ring like he was great, like he knew he was great and like he was confident, but he didn't really act between the moves like that. And that's what he brings in this match. So you watch this match and I feel like, I, I think that the Tony finds is early on when the crowds, um, Kind of not even all the crowds, like a lot of the crowds behind Danielson, but when even just some of the crowds getting behind Strong, like what I love how he plays it, what that epiphany Matt just mentioned, I think, is the way he plays it. You know, so many wrestlers would just start being get like really mad, mad at the crowd or stuff. And what Brian does, it's really fascinating. He gets like this smirk. Is he like? It's like he gets doesn't get mad. He gets bemused by it. It's almost this thought of like, oh, you guys think he's better than me? You think he has a chance to beat me? And all during the rest of the match, 
he just rubs it in their faces. Like he dominates strong to a fair, he doesn't completely eat him alive, but he takes a lot of this match and constantly during the match, he's starting to like, what do you think about Roderick now? And he's just smirking so much. And it's, it's the birth of that kind of Danielson where he is just so confident and so in control of everything. And he's just loving, you know, being in that role. And he, he just loves, you know, he's not the, again, the mustache twirling evil guy. He's more of just the, you guys really think that these people are on my level? Really? Like, I'm just going to rub it in your face. And like at every moment, I'm going to show you, oh, look what I've just did to him. You really thought, remember when you guys were chanting for him? You thought he was that good. And I love, I think this match is great. This is one of my um favorite matches of the year, except for a thing we'll get to in a sec. And I feel like, it's a masterclass from Brian Danielson. Um, strong is good, but this is the Brian Danielson show. This match is funny. Like you look at a match to this length. I, to me, it flies by. And I think a lot of times you would look, Oh, Brian Danielson match that goes 37 minutes. And you would think, Oh, it's going to have a ton of mat work, a ton of submissions. It doesn't have much mat stuff. It's most, and it doesn't have nearly as many moves in general. Like so much of this match, like is space. It's more of a slower pace. And I think Danielson is perfect in this match at knowing at when to kind of stop and emote to the crowd. And he does a lot of it and it kind of, it lengthens the match, but yet it's all just as entertaining as the moves. Like he knows when he knows every moment when to like stop and turn the crowd and kind of like dwell on a moment of like, yeah, I'm kicking this guy's ass, aren't I? And I, I think strong, just like Danielson works best. I think in, as the front runner, I think strong actually works best a lot of the time as the underdog, like they work this match where I think it's 21 minutes in before he hits a backbreaker. And I think we saw this with a punk strong match where I think sometimes strong works best. His offense is so explosive and exciting. And he's that you kind of, it, it works sometimes really good, really well when you um work a match where you kind of prevent him from doing it and you just tease it and tease it into the crowd. Can't wait for it. And then you have him just explode. And Danielson really controls it to you're just begging for him to start hitting a backbreaker and go for it. And so finally it all comes down to the end, because I would say, I don't know if this is one of my favorite Danielson matches in ring of honor up to this point, because he's had some great ones, but I would say in terms of a personal performance, I think this is one of Danielson's best personal performances, but then we get to the end and the end is very controversial. I really don't like it. So for those who have not seen, the end is a worked shoot. It is 37 minutes of this match. Danielson and Strong get into a strike exchange. They're throwing like forearms back and forth, elbows, whatever. Eventually, Danielson just goes down in a heap. He sells that he's been legit knocked out. He is motionless face down on the canvas. Uh, Strong tries to turn him over for a pin. He is dead weight. Uh, Danielson eventually, after a little bit of this, pops up mad like clear eyed and he goes into it quickly with, with strong. He's pissed off and he takes him down to this like omoplata where he submits um, strong with like his legs in this, in this arm, this MMA ish arm bar. That's very kind of fancy looking immediately after that arm bar strong doesn't sell. He immediately run like rolls out of the ring and starts swearing at Danielson. Like that wasn't the planned finish. Danielson swearing back at him and spits at, at strong from the ring and strong immediately just goes to the back and I, I've already talked so much that I'm going to give it to you guys first, but I will say we do have an explanation for how they came out with that. But this was a work shoot. It was an, in, it, I guess it kind of inter, did fool some people at the time. I want to know if you guys were fooled at the time, but I just, I'll get into it more because I already talked so much, but I really don't like that finish. But overall, I love this match apart from that finish. Um, Joe, what'd you think about this? 
Well, first off, they cut off the final countdown before the chorus. I couldn't believe it. Uh, they were clearly uh, getting used to doing that entrance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you often hear about how you know the old school NWA champion would go into a territory and put the local wrestler over as much as possible. And that's what this match felt like to me, even though you know both guys do work in the same promotion. But you knew it wasn't Roddy's time yet, and also Brian probably wasn't going to lose the title anytime soon. But Brian put him over so strong, no pun intended. And it was kind of, you know, he worked heelish throughout. He wasn't like, you know, cheating, hitting with chairs. He would hold on to moves when Roddy got in the ropes for a couple extra seconds. He'd go to the eyes, things like that. He'd bail when he got chopped. He'd have to kind of like, kind of find a bit of a shortcut to, to get his way back. And I know you, you know, you've talked about this. You could, you see the light bulb going off over his head as this match goes on. You could tell he was having a ton of fun with this as well. And and you mentioned this. I was really struck by the minimalism of this. They mentioned Riot did do a backbreaker for the first like twenty one minutes of the match. And you know, you look at it, not a there weren't a ton of moves in this. They were just kinda yeah. it was just simple basic wrestling that was executed at the highest level possible. And you know, a thirty seven minute singles match, you know, the, it's a long match today. I feel it'd be a lot more common. I mean, back then, I mean that's very rare to have any match go this long and it, it really didn't feel that way i thought maybe like a, there was like kind of a minute or two it was kind of like okay wrap it up but you know to have a 37 minute match go that long and not feel that way for the vast majority of it is really an accomplishment and i remember as far as the ending goes i remember live i thought danielson was just dead waiting i thought he dead waited him i didn't know the story was he got knocked out and then like you know he dead waited him and then kind of suckered him in for the finish and then they did the the work shoot thing. Like we were just all kind of confused by it at the end. And I'm, I guess I'm still kind of confused by it, even with commentary all these years later, but that doesn't really take away from, uh, from the awesome work in this match. Matt, what did you think about all of this? Um, so yeah, I would say the only match that you know might be more important in the development of the Brian Danielson as champion character than this, um, is the next Danielson versus Strong match that takes place a week that takes place a week later at the show of Vendetta in Chicago? Um, we'll see as we watch it, you know, to see like how they kind of how they kind of complement each other in the development of that character. But um, as far as the finish, um, um, so they sort of recontextualize it on the DVD because it was a work shoot initially. You're right. Like, like they, they did play it that way and live. Like it was just confusing. I didn't, I, I didn't get that sense. It was just like, well, that's a weird way to end that match. Like I thought it was, they were going to do more dramatic stuff at the end. But what happened was on the ROH website, Gabe Sapolsky presented it as a work shoot and he posted a video of the, of the finish of the match and then them going backstage and like yelling at each other and like cursing each other out like it was a shoot. But like on the DVD they do not present it that way. Like I don't know if you noticed that. They totally recontextualize the ending. Yeah. It is not presented as a work shoot on the DVD. It is just presented as a finish where Strong stiffed him, knocked him out and Danielson came to and was real pissed and tapped him out real quick. Because there was a huge, well, maybe not huge, but there was a big uh, backlash against the work shoot thing. People didn't like that. Um, which, you know, understandably, it's annoying when they do that. Um, so, um, so the work shoot did not go over well. So by the time they ended up producing the DVD, they dropped that angle completely. So if you watch this, if you watch this DVD and didn't know about what Trevor said, um, you would not know this was a work shoot. 
I would say. I mean, the thing the thing that happens is, you know, they they start spitting at each other and like screaming at each other right after the match, and Roderick immediately goes to the back. They don't shake hands afterward. Like that's all to play into the work shoot. But the announcers never acknowledge that anything weird was happening. You know, they just play it as a as a finish. Um, so it's interesting. It's like it's a work shoot, but also it's not. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, in terms of the match, like. The quality of the match, what did you think? Because I'll say this, and this might be controversial. I don't know how I feel about because of the finish, but I would say with a good finish, I actually think I like this match more than Danielson versus Gibson, which I think is all a great match. But I, I love this match. I didn't like it as much as you, but, you know, that's that's fine. I thought it was really good. I thought, like, the, all the stuff that you said was good about it was what made it really good. Danielson um, – you know, getting, developing that character, his playing to the crowd. I liked, you know, I liked that. Like he would, he would like, he'd be the one trying to wear out strong with chops and eventually strong would just hit him with a chop and he would just be like, fuck this, I'm out of here. And like, just stop yeah. the match in its tracks whenever he got chopped. Uh, you know, uh, I, I like that. Um, you know, I, I thought it was really stiff, like, you know, like the really hard hitting more so than most Danielson matches we've seen previously. I think it was really good in the development of Roderick Strong. I think it's a great match. I, I, I think that they had better matches in them, and they had better matches. So we're going to see that, and we'll see if you end up agreeing with me about that. I, I just I, – as a one-man performance, I just – I mean I, I can't get over how much I loved watching it all these years later. I was shocked how much I liked it. There's so many great little moments. Like you mentioned like Danielson always d- taking one chop and then going to the floor in frustration, how he works that kind of frustration. Um there's a one point where after some exchange, Danielson turns to a fan in the crowd and he yells, that's two, he goes, plus two points for me. And I thought, what's the scoring system Danielson's working in his own head? Like, like he goes, plus two points. I go, two, two point, what? I, I just love, I don't know if maybe the fan reference something to him, but it's so funny. It, um, and there's just stuff like Danielson is such a, 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 a lovable dick here. At one point, he just slaps Roddy real hard in the face where, um, like he offers Roddy a handshake, and when they go, he just slaps him really hard in the face. They also, uh, they also like, do, they also do the thing where he's like, "Joe's not here. I might as well do the ole ole kick." And that's when the announcers really start treating him like a heel because they're like, "He wouldn't." And then he does yeah. it, and then the crowd asks him to do it over here, like in a different spot, like they do for Joe. And Danielson's like, "Over there," and like teases he's going to do it, and then he holds up his middle finger and says, "Fuck off," which is by far <laughs> the most, by far the most heelish move he did in the whole match, I would say. And, and, you know, he's doing just stuff like he's dusting off his hands after he just does a shoulder block to Roddy or um, – and obviously, like, he had already been doing the I, I Have Till Five stuff for a few shows before this. But he's really leaning into it here, and it's perfectly fitting, you know, this new wrinkle he's really found in this match. He's yelling to the fans, like, how about Roderick now? He's um stopping chops from Roderick with an, Roderick with an eye poke. Um, and like he did a little bit of that in previous matches, like definitely in the Gibson match, he was like, "How do you like James Gibson now?" and all that stuff, or like you know, who let's hear it for the champion James, like stuff like that. But like he really like, he, I don't know, he crystallizes it almost into like what it is meant to be. He, I don't know, it's hard to explain, yeah. but it's it's synthesized into something that's um that that that's like a complete package. But like you're gonna see, I mean, I don't know how well you remember the match from Chicago the next week. But I don't like, actually. Yeah, I mean, that's the match that between these two that I remember as being like a strong match of the year candidate. 
Um, and when I say a strong match of the year candidate, I'm talking about like even when you think about like Joe and Kobashi and stuff like that. That's how much I like that match at the well, time. I was so. thinking you were talking about a Rod or a strong match of the year candidate. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey oh, that's good. Yeah. No, but like that, like that one to yeah. me, like we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong, but like that match, that match I think was like this, but like perfected. But yeah, like Joe said, it's surprisingly minimalist in the in the, uh, the amount of stuff they do. Uh, and they're like Matt said, there's some great stiffness in here. Like Roderick is really kicking him, uh, Danielson hard at one point. He does a really nasty, almost unsafe looking Davy Andrews as stomp to the Danielson's head. Um, they, I love there's a moment where Danielson and Roderick have a slap buckle while a slap battle while they're on the turnbuckles and Danielson loses. And he does this great acting of job of he just kind of crumbles off the turnbuckles to the floor. Uh, Brian does a spinning toehold into a figure four and Brian does not break out figure fours very often. Just so cool. Just such a anyway made all the more I, I, cool by his awesome DIY haircut. <laughs> so now I'm going to get into the story behind the uh, the finish. So first we'll go. This is how the Observer covered it at the time, and then we'll t- and then we'll do the torch, and then we'll tell you the real story straight on the horse's mouth. So the Observer wrote the crowd was silent for a lot of the match, which one I don't necessarily agree with that, Dave. But anyway, silent, describing- silent, no. But I do, I do remember, Joe. Do you remember this? I do think it felt quieter in the building than I expected, and like it came off better on DVD than it did live. I, I, I really, it did, it did feel that way to me because you could see all the little nuances of Danielson's performance on DVD. Do you remember it being better? Do you remember it being a little bit worse live? Yeah, I would say a little, like you said, you could pick up a little bit more watching on DVD. Yeah. So. uh I mean, yeah, it wasn't like ravenously hot, but I don't think it was absolutely nothing. But and look, if the the crowd, whatever they weren't into it, the crowd was wrong. And I do, I do feel like the match. I, I agree with you, also, Joe. They're saying that maybe there, it, there was a, maybe a minute to the match. Where you go, oh, you can maybe wrap it up. But overall, I thought the match mostly flew by. And but I do think that for this crowd, you could tell that maybe it was going maybe five or more minutes too long that they, they start to lose a little energy. But anyway, Dave wrote the crowd was silent for a lot of the match described as being because it had been a long night. The match was methodical and nobody believed that strong had a chance to win. They'd better not make that mistake for long because strong is on the short list of guys who are going to have that belt within a year, barring something unexpected. Uh, good reporting. Dave. I, I guess something, um, I guess something unexpected happened. <laughs> Danielson's chest was beat red and strong had a gash near his armpit. They did a weird angle at the finish that nobody fully understood as Danielson acted like he was out, then out of nowhere got a submission that Strong tapped to. Strong stormed out like he was double-crossed, and Danielson spit at him. Remember Bret Hart spitting at Vince McMahon after Survivor Series? The match was supposed to go 50 minutes with the idea of teasing that they would do a 60-minute draw, but then have a clean finish with the champ going over. So then we go to the torch. Uh, Wade and company wrote, there was an altercation between Roderick Strong and Danielson near the end of their October 29th match and heated words between them backstage afterward. Says one Ring of Honor wrestler, they were jaw jacking pretty hard when they got backstage after the match. When asked, Strong didn't want to talk to friends about what happened. Gabe Sapolsky had to calm them down backstage. Sapolsky tells the torch, well, things did get very heated at the finish and they did cross the line. There is no guessing about it. 
And so, oh, I remember. Um, so can I can I tell you something funny about this? Yeah, I remember Bix. Like I don't want to like call people out, but like he really led the charge. I remember on like message boards that I read about how ridiculous this whole work shoot thing was. I feel like he like um, David Bixen span. I'm talking about. Like I, I I remember that vividly. He really did not like this and called it out and like. You know, it's a. I, I feel like probably if you asked him now, he would probably say, "Yeah, like that was that was really stupid that Gabe did that." I have to assume that they that. I mean, I wonder if they were working the wrestlers too. When you got this quote from the wrestlers and talking about them arguing backstage, or if the wrestlers were in on it, because you know, even this quote of when asked, Strong didn't even talk to his friends about what happened. Like, I mean, they certainly at one. I mean, like like you said, I agree. It did seem like they decided to change midstream about selling this as a work shoot but initially like the week after it happened or the days after it happened with all this it does seem like they were going to some lengths to try and yeah make this seem like something really went wrong until anyway. until the big backlash they were yeah but it was only yeah, it was only like a week or so by the time they got to like the next weekend of shows they had already kind of dropped that but for the definitive story of the finish we'll go to the man himself because brian danson does in fact write about this in the book and in a way the finish was actually more real than you would think. So let's look at this. Um, Brian wrote, The night of that first match against Roderick was also the first in a series of experiments I was doing on wrestling finishes. A standard wrestling trope was that you had you beat guys with your finisher. Some guys have two, but very rarely do people have more than a couple of moves that they will actually beat guys with. For the more astute fans, matches become more predictable. They know that even if a wrestler hits another with a big impact move, if it's not their finisher, it won't end the match. I want people to think that a match could end at any time. On top of that, though the hardcore fans at Ring of Honor very much appreciated wrestling, it was hard to get them to believe that any of it was legitimate after so many years of WWE saying it was all just entertainment. We didn't need people to believe that the whole thing was real, though, just part of it. Guys lose their tempers, and sometimes things get real in the ring. Most people never know it because it just seems like sloppy wrestling. My idea was to create a moment in which the audience would wonder if what they were seeing was actually real. The finish of the Roderick match was something that legitimately happened to us. One night after a show, a bunch of us were hanging out in my hotel room, and Roderick was drunk, his behavior growing more and more irritating as he jumped all over the place while I was lying in bed. I told him to get out of the room if he was going to be annoying, so he charged and sprang on top of me. I merely put Roddy in an omoplata shoulder lock with my legs until he screamed. It didn't take long, and then I let go. Gabe was in the room and saw the whole thing. He thought it was awesome, and later that week, he told me he wanted that to be the finish in our upcoming match. I agreed, only if Roderick wasn't drunk. So we did it. In in the match, Roderick was chopping me so hard that my chest was bleeding. As lots of wrestling fans who've tried chopping each other know, it hurts. Chops like a loud, visceral sound, and people know they sting. So it wasn't hard for fans to believe that with all the chops Roddy had given me, I was pissed off. Instead of the usual cavalcade of moves before the finish of a big match, we just started elbowing each other in the face really hard until Roddy nearly knocked me out. He went to jump on me, and just like in the hotel room, I instantly put him in the omoplata. Rather than the typical milking of the submission, Roderick tapped out almost immediately, rolling to the floor without selling anything. He was pissed off. I got up pissed off, and then I spit on him and said he was a piece of shit. People in the arena had no idea what had just happened. It looked as if, in the middle of a normal wrestling match, tempers flared and a fight broke out. That was exactly what I wanted. So that is the story from Danielson himself. And it's funny because 
he does not mention the idea of this match was supposed to go longer, the thing that Dave writes. And uh, I'll save that note for the next Danielson-Rodney match. Roddy match, but uh, Brian Alvarez in the figure four even says like that the Oma Plata finish was not the planned finish of that ma- of 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 this match, which is clearly not the case because Brian outright tells you not only was it the finish, Gabe told him to make it the finish when he saw him do it for real. So pretty amazing story. So in a way, this is the work shoot that was actually a shoot because it was based on something that actually happened. Um. And finally, we just have a couple more they, they, to go. They, they sh- they, instead of working themselves into a shoot, they shot themselves into a work. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say the other thing I would say is for people that want to do work shoots, here's why I don't think this worked as a work shoot. And one, I don't like the idea of work shoots. But if you're going to try and do it, I think Brian kind of, without realizing, touched on why it didn't work in, in that description. Because he says in work shoots, he goes, people don't usually know their work shoots because it's just sloppy wrestling. And I think that's the point. Work shoots, I mean, anyone that recently – watched like the Nia Jack Charlotte one should know most work like most times when a when a when a wrestling match breaks down to like a real shoot thing it's not dramatic or good looking it's sloppy it's ugly it's usually two people staying around kind of talking to each other and one of them being pissed off and the other one not knowing what to do and trying to get the match back on track and the problem I think with this work shoot was it's too dramatic like Brian's knocked completely out and he pops up and hits this amazing like legit like fancy looking MMA submission and all this stuff. Like that's when people get really knocked out, they're groggy after they get, they don't have the presence of mind to do all that stuff. And um, and it doesn't happen at the end of a dramatic match. Like I feel like if you, if anyone that wants to do a work shoot, you have to have the guts to make it like make the match bad and make it ugly and awkward don't don't you know, don't don't encourage these work shoots by helping them do it better. We don't want any of those. I'm just saying a real work shoot does more more often than not look like shot Nia Jax and Charlotte. I mean a real shoot, not a work shoot, than what they attempted to do here. I mean if you really want to fake it, that's the goal you have to that's what you have to imitate. But um we cut to Chad Collier backstage somewhere, not this building because he wasn't at the show. He's seen Ace Steel's crazy videos recently. If Ace wants a singles match with Chad, he's not going to get it. He's only going to get a tag match with Chad, and Chad says, I'm going to knock your head into the people's laps. Quick little Collier promo. Next, we have um, Jim Cornette in front of a Ring of Honor banner, uh, presumably at a hotel room or something. Probably was shooting a shoot interview. Uh, Cornette says he is in favor of Brian Danielson's open contracts, and he announces Brian will defend on the next show against Chris Saban. And then the next night, Brian will have a rematch with Roderick Strong, whether he is champ or not. So, Matt, we had just saw on the other show where Cornette said, you know, top five rankings are back and it's none of this, you know, impromptu stuff. Now this show he's like, oh, yeah, I, I like this thing Brian's doing where he just faces random guys in open contracts. Here we go. Yeah, that doesn't, doesn't, really, doesn't really make Cornette look good. Like, it's not his fault, obviously. No. He didn't book it. But, like, yeah, to be so inconsistent, to go from literally one promo being like, yeah, I mean, we're picking up the top five rankings, and that's all that's going to matter in these title matches. And to like, yeah, you know what? I like this idea of to complete randos coming in and getting title <laughs> shots. Even better. Yeah. And then finally, in the last segment, we join Gary Michael Capetta backstage. Gary says they are keeping Brian and Roderick apart backstage because there's so much heat between them. And then Christopher Daniel shows up in street clothes, dragging his luggage behind him. He apologizes for being late to the show and is shocked to find out that the show is over. Presumably this was like at 11 or midnight and he was shocked it was over. He can't believe Jay Lethal didn't get a shot to wrestle anyone tonight. And Gary tells him, no, Jay wrestled Curry Man tonight. Daniels is frustrated that he keeps missing Curry Man. You know, they're never in the same place together. 
BJ Whitmer and Lacey then walk into frame at this point, and BJ says, Daniels has been missing a lot of things around Ring of Honor lately, and maybe he's been forgetting things, not just shows, but the maybe he's forgetting the people who once backed him up. And then he and Lacey leave, and Daniels just acts flabbergasted at this cheek from this BJ Whitmer, and that is the dramatic end to the show. I do like that they finally like had like BJ be like, Oh wait, Daniels, you're back. <laughs> like we yeah. like we were the prophecy while you were gone. Like, you know, but like yeah, it's a it's a interesting way to end the show. But uh yeah. So that brings us to the end of This Means War. Uh Joe, you saw it live, you experienced the gas, you did not get the candy, you've rewatched it now. What'd you think about it after all this time? It's an unusual show. Like, uh, I felt we really missed having like Samoa Joe there and Jimmy Rave too, and like the tag champs weren't there, and Nigel was kind of in a wasted spot in a, in a the uh, multi man, and there was a lot more comedy than normal on like two pretty heavy comedy matches, including one in the semi main event position. But there were, I think, like I thought the the main events kind of a. Uh, Kind of an underrated pivotal point in Ring of Honor history, and certainly if you're a fan of Brian Danielson, you owe you owe it to yourself to see it. But it's not like there aren't other long Roderick Strong Brian Danielson matches uh, out there to see. But you know, I really like the opener. I still did like Aerie Styles and uh, and the main event for sure. And there's a lot of good long wrestling on this. So you know, it's a I can't say it's certainly not a must watch show, but you know, there's nothing all that bad outside of B Boy Cabana. So. It's it's probably worth a watch, especially the main event if you have to see one thing from it. Matt, uh, this is a, it's a pretty noteworthy show when you think about it. Like it feels like in some ways like a B show, but it's pretty important. Like mainly for the Brian Danielson stuff, um, like you said. But you know, there's some interesting stuff on here. I thought that you know it's it's Claudio's big breakout match in a lot of ways, um, and that was really good. I I did I did enjoy um you know I enjoyed the homicide cabana brawl I enjoyed the the comedy four way I um and the main event the main event was a great match like and important so I I have to say this is this is probably the best of the last few shows that we've reviewed just because of that stuff even though there was plenty of disappointing stuff on the show too um definitely definitely is a bit on the weird side but. But I think good, and I think uh, and I think fairly noteworthy. So uh, you know, again, like you're right, Joe. Not a must see show, but it's a show. It's a show worth considering at least. It's definitely not forgettable. Like both you guys just said, weird but good. I think is what sums up this show. It, it's funny. Like I really like that opener more a lot, and I really love that main event. But in between, even though they're you know like AJ Aries, well disappointing is still a decent match i I, you know even that quick little tag match with kid mikazi and jason blade like 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 it's not a bad show but there's something about before the main event i kind of had a sour taste in my mouth just because the b-boy match wasn't good it's about as close as you get to a below average match in ring of honor recently um the uh you know the curry man jay lethal match was entertaining in its way but it was just not what you'd want for a semi-main event i think as a home viewer uh and, and it just there, there's something weird about this card when you think about two of the top three matches on the show were homicide and Cole cabana and jay lethal and christopher daniels and both those matches technically don't happen but yet they both technically act in a way kind of do happen like it's a weird show in that sense even you know and yeah i agree you know you missed joel but but yet 
there's a really good match in the opener and there's a great match in the main event. And it's just, to me, those are really good bookends for the show. What I will say is there's, this is not to try and sum this. I would say is Danielson like strong from this show is not a match you need to see to really, if you're just a ring of honor fan or a wrestling fan, like it's not that great. It's not on that level, but I will say if you're like a big Brian Danielson fan, I do think it's kind of must see because I do think it, like we've been saying, it's an important match in the evolution of his entire career. And I do think if you're really into him, you really should go out of your way to see this one match. Cause it's an important moment. And like Matt mentioned, I think it's one, a match where you can literally like see, I mean, not literally, there's not an actual filament here, but like you can, you can see the figurative light bulb go off above Danielson's head during that match. Like I think Matt, you put it great when you said it that way. And, um, and then after all that, I had to do my two, two and a half hour drive in the dark, in the middle of the night, all the way back home. Yeah. Well, I do think that one match would have. Did you, do you remember going back if you thought it was worth it? I, I thought it, I thought it was weird. Like I told you, that match did not come off as well live. It really didn't. And like I um I I, I think like I think it's a great match now. But like I, I think I was mostly like oh I think you know maybe I mean it was fun to meet Joe Gagne. I think that was the highlight. <laughs> and like I liked I liked being around ROH. Like I you know I I was you know what I was what was I twenty two like I, I mean I, I anything was worth it at that point you know what I mean like it was just fun like driving around and doing different things but uh so yes I will say yes it's fun to meet Joe Gagne when you're twenty two so um moving on to plus if you're twenty two <laughs> you can meet Joe Gagne I think it's, I think it might be worth it it's fun Joe uh, what do you have to plug <laughs> well I'm canceled now so I guess I have nothing to tell him uh, no you can uh, listen. To uh, the five star match game on the Voices Wrestling Podcasting Network. It's a pro wrestling quiz show. We have shows dedicated to certain uh, individual topics, and both Matt and Trevor have been guests multiple times. And you guys might be overdue for a return visit. We'll have to try to uh, squeeze mm. you on this year. I mean, point. Trevor is the most popular contestant on that show by far, I would say. So I feel like at the very least, he needs to be back. People love hearing the Trevor's only- answers, yes. The only time people talk about my appearance on that show is to talk about how bad I am on that show. So. Like I said, one of the most popular contestants uh, on the show. Um, so for our plugs, uh, as always, um, through the years at gmail.com. That's for our email. That's T-H-R-O-H at Trevor Game on Twitter, at Mayor MGF on Twitter. Joe, you didn't just give out your Twitter, did you? Did you want to do that? Sure. It's just at Joe Gagne, G-A-G-N-E. Yes. Um, we have a thread on the pro wrestling only forum, pro wrestling only.com forums. They have a plug forum section. And so that's that. And next time on the show, we will be covering showdown in Motown. Ring of honor comes to Detroit for the first time featuring another Alex Shelley versus Austin Aries match, Chris Saban versus Brian Danielson for the world title. And is per- the show is perhaps best known for the most infamous DVD cover in ring of honor history in which it looks like the two men in the main event are completely naked and about to have sex with each other. Uh, we I mean, I feel like you're extrapolating a lot in that second part. Look, <laughs> it I just mean, looks, it just looks like they're completely naked. Uh, no, I don't think there's anything about sex going on. There, it's, that, a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nudist colony. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll, we'll debate that more on the next episode. So until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.